0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is a conversation with Colin Morris. He is a Wellington music journalist, writer, reviewer, and retailer. Um, If you you have a record collection in New Zealand and you've got some secondhand records, you've probably got a sticker somewhere on one of your records that says Colin Morris Records. That's how I first got to know Colin. I, I I knew of him. I knew he was a guy in Wellington that had a shop sold records. And then when I moved to Wellington in 1995, I went to what was the last Colin Morris Records. Uh, He had had stores through the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. I went to that shop um, and spoke to him uh, as a customer, you know, and then a couple of years later I ended up working in a record store with him. So that's when we really got to know each other. Um, And since then I've been uh, a fan and a friend of his. We've held some similar positions we both wrote reviews for the dominion post at the same time um we both appear on jesse mulligan's uh afternoon show on rnz and give commentary on music and uh, quite often, uh, you know, at things like the Jazz Festival, I'm sitting next to Colin, we're in the in the reviewer's seats together. Um, so we've spent many years having conversations like this, though I don't think we've ever spoken for quite this long in one go. Uh, I wanted to talk to him, I've wanted to have him on the podcast for a while because he is such a name uh, associated with music in Wellington, uh, and there are some interesting facets to his story. Um And we got through quite a few of them, I think, and we also just had a big old celebratory chat about music, which is a nice thing to do. Um, So I hope you enjoyed this. I certainly did. Uh, This is me talking with Colin Morris. I haven't known you for quite 25 years, but it's close to, I think it's probably been 25 years since we first spoke, because you, you won't remember this, but it would have been about 1995 or 94 or 95 that I went into... I guess was the last shop that was colin morris records mm. and i remember buying some cds off you and talking to you and knowing who you were and then a couple of years later we ended up briefly working together at tandy's that's right. and that's how i really got to to know you and then we've obviously uh worked for the newspaper and rnz at the same time and and uh, love music and and know each other through that and turn up at events and so it's been probably 20 years or so that I can consider you a, a friend and colleague, but I do remember buying um, jazz albums from Colin Morris Records and, uh, that were on sale. And, you know, I think that was when I'd first moved to Wellington. So I was blown away at the uh, at the idea that these jazz albums I'd heard of <laughs> that were 40 or $50 to import in Hawke's Bay were... were available actually in the shop and were $20 you know things like Miles Davis albums and stuff like I was just absolutely blown away by that and so I probably you know gushingly talked to you about how unreal it was to to see jazz on cd store shelves Mm. but you had um you know take me back to way before that because you had been in Wellington for many years as a retailer up to that point we'll go through that but where did you start in life
1: um, well, I came to New Zealand in 1962 mm. after the death of my mum and dad. Dad died in 58 and mum died in 62. And um, for some weird reason, somebody in, was in England at the time and managed to get us on a boat really quickly. Mm. And a normal immigration takes about 18 months, but we were on the boat inside three. So we had no time to think. It was just like, you know, move out, get rid of things and gone. You know, so, so it was a bit of a shock. How and old? Uh, you were orphaned. Yeah, I was yeah, orphaned. I was, old orphaned. I was uh, 16. Mm. So uh, And what, what,
0: what were the causes of the disease? The...
1: Both, both cases, pneumonia.
0: Right, wow. Um,
1: we had a terrible... Well, Dad came back from the war. Uh, he was based in India. And rather, rather bizarrely, only recently, I found out that I was supposed to be, be um, born in India. My mother was going to go out, mm. and I probably would have been born in India. But Dad became ill, he got emphysema came back, um, well, it was both emphysema and ulcers, and I don't know the cause of it. Um, he, he, as far as we aware, he never fought a, a, a single battle or fired a shot in anger. He was with the 9th Lancashire Lancers, so he trained horses. Anyway, he um, came back to England, he was very ill, had half his stomach removed, and then, as I say, in 58, he died. And then, so we moved... Um, a couple of times, and uh, then mum died. I found I was the one that found her. And it was a hell of a shock. We, were, we, we knew she was ill, my sister and I, and we were taking turns to stay up with her in front of a fire. The only fire that we could build in the house because the house had frozen up with the terrible winter that we had in 62, 63. Um, so as a consequence, we, um, after after mum's funeral, uh, we decided to come to New Zealand because I had a sister here and she sponsored us and I must say it was really quick and suddenly we're here. So I did a variety of jobs from, uh, I, I was in the stationery business in England, mm. went to work for Wick, was, didn't like the big company, so I went to work for a smaller company and then didn't like them because I didn't like my long hair, <laughs> as, as was the story in those days. And uh, I drifted around, I was working in a battery factory I was a crane driver on the wharf.
0: I did all sorts of things, what was the textiles. The, I mean, apart from the, I guess, the grieving process, and it was probably a delayed grieving process, was it? It still is. Yeah. It's, yeah.
1: It really still is. Mm. I've always said that, you know, in that old parlour game, if you could invite six people around the table, mm. people like you and I would all say, well, Bob Dylan, Dan yeah, yeah, Morrison, yeah. et cetera. To me, it would always be my mum and dad, mm. always. Mm. I've always wanted to talk to them say, did I turn out all right, you know, and how did you guys meet? And I'd, I'd love to know these things. So yes, you must, be, not you
0: must be missing so many stories from from yeah. the early lives yeah. that we we just naturally connect and get mm. if if our parents stay alive for a, a, a reasonable time through our lives.
1: Well, but, I only brought one picture, or two pictures, mm. sorry, of my father. That's all I had. And then when my eldest sister died about 20 years ago, just before she passed away and I was talking with her in the hospital and she said, is there anything you want from the house? And I said, any pictures of mum and dad? And she said, okay, they're all in this particular box. So when she passed and we went round to her house, I took these and I've got about 100 pictures. So going through those was the most extraordinary, mm. cathartic moment in my life to see dad in an aeroplane or... Um, dad training horses in India or mum and dad at the seaside. Because I don't ever remember going on holiday with my parents. Mm. And I certainly know that they never owned their own own car. So that was a very, very profound moment in my life. Mm, mm.
0: And, you know, what sort of, I guess culture shock was there of coming to i mean I, I think i can guess that you used to have culture and then you moved to new zealand in the early 60s and there was none almost yeah, exactly. coming from coming from england
1: yeah every time i've mentioned that um, i found new zealand to the to be the arse end of the world mm. was so true and and what had happened i came to new zealand there was the six o'clock swirl there were trams running through wellington and there was no shops open on Saturday or Sunday. Mm. And when they relaxed the laws uh, somewhat, it worked out that you could, on a Sunday, you could buy a hammer, but you it was illegal to buy nails. <laughs> and I I found this, so I started saving up. I worked five jobs at the same time. Mm. I worked at Wickles, uh, I worked at the White Horse, um, restaurant round in Oriental Bay. I was cleaning the Adams Brew shops during the week. And on a Saturday morning, I was cleaning two cinemas. And I just wanted to go home. And I'm not sure if it was homesick, but rather than that I was missing the music side of it. Because I'd always been, I'd always loved music. Yeah, well, that was what I wanted to
0: ask next, was when's your first memory of of really connecting with music i think
1: it was lonnie donegan Mm. my first album i ever bought was ray charles at newport and i didn't like it because it had only like one hit on it Mm. and he was playing sax on it and it was like that's right this is bizarre (laughs) you know i just don't like this Mm. so i thought i'd wasted my money but uh now i've got a copy on cd i absolutely love it Mm. but lonnie donegan would have been the, the the starting point because um, there used to be Saturday night at London Palladium on TV on a Sunday night. Mm. And I don't know when it was pre-recorded, but um, they showed that. And it seemed like he was on once a month. And every time he was on, the next morning, his new record was number one. So we always followed that. Mm. It was Does you chewing and lose its flavour on the bedpost overnight. My old man, Dustman, You name it, he was the great one it's for me.
0: funny to think how a lot of people, if you told that, Without a context for who he was and the time he came into play, it would seem rather quaint. But it's amazing, like what a what a musical icon, what a touch point he is for so many people. You know, you get people yes. like Jeff Beck and Mark Knopfler and that talking, telling the same sort of story you were mm. saying about it being just a, a lightning rod.
1: Yeah. And he was the man that hated the Beatles, mm. and I could understand that because. Um, uh, it took all his livelihood away. I was
0: going to say, he was very much in strict adherence to a tradition, and they were about break, you know, taking what they wanted from that and making something Mm. new.
1: Well, I I think it comes back in life that you realize you like somebody like that because they were very English-centric, even though he stole a lot of stuff from Leadbelly and Mm, Josh mm. White and people like that. but it was that peculiar time of skiffle mm. where, like it was for pups, anybody could play an instrument and you just could and you enjoyed it and it was a, a raucous mess.
0: It's about energy and attitude exactly. and, uh, and the overall mood created from that rather mm. than any proficiency. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. once
1: the Beatles came, I stayed. Yeah. That was what did it. That's, yeah. that's the key point in my life because I, I suddenly realised that if I was in England i would never get to see them because i could never queue up and i would never go from say manchester to doncaster or right. To see right yeah yeah
0: yeah funny that yeah, <laughs> so a, did you a, see them play
1: i saw them play at the uh, town hall in the program in wellington wow it was 20 minutes of mayhem yeah yeah uh, <laughs> you know and i thought well i've seen them and that's yeah. it my sister insists that she took me to see them in con at the BBC in Manchester, mm. uh, but I have no real memory of that at all. I, I keep having these fixations in yeah. memory, yeah.
0: Was that so? Were they the first? I mean, they're the greatest pop group for so many people, but were they the first significant musical act you actually got to go and see? No, I saw oh.
1: B.B. King and Jim McDaniels and.
0: Before uh, you came to New Zealand?
1: No, no. When oh, I was in New Zealand. Right. When I was in England, I there's a couple of rough memories. Yeah. One that I saw Ella Fitzgerald, and Dave Brubeck on the same bill. Wow. Well, again, I don't yeah, think that's yeah. right. Yeah, I really don't think it's right. But um, what I what I enjoyed most when when I was running the shop was that they released these the songbook series Mm-mm. of Ella Fitzgerald, mm. which I absolutely must for any jazz lover, um, possibly with the exception of the Duke Ellington one, but. She also did these live albums live in Berlin, live in London. Well, 25 years afterwards, they released the live in Manchester. So I was telling customers in the shop, You can hear me clapping, <laughs> <laughs> but I honestly don't know if I was at that yeah. concert or not. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so how do you take how do you so you love music, you you Lonnie Donegan, and then you get to see the Beatles, and so music's part of your world as a as a kid, as a teenager, mm. you're out here working these jobs and trying to find out who you are and what you're going to do and who you're going to be. Mm. How do you then translate that interest in music into, into an income and, and the pursuit of a career?
1: <laughs> well, it's, um, apart from running a shop for 30 years, and most people won't believe me, but in those 30 years, I had 31 shops. Yeah. Because I was kept on opening. Every time the record company had come to me and say, Look, we've got all this excess stock, do you want it for a, a couple of dollars and you can sell it for five or whatever? Mm. Um, I'd say yes and then I'd go and open another shop. So I was opening shops for one or two weeks, putting mm. some of my stuff in there. So, you know, there's a lot of places I could I suddenly drive past and think, I think I just have a shop there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had one in Newtown. Mm. And, and and one in Victoria Street, this sort of thing.
0: But it didn't start with you selling, like, retail music to begin with, did it? You got into the music industry.
1: Yeah, well, I saw an ad in the paper for a a position at Van in Cuba Street, Mm. and I just went along without any thought. But because all my history of loving music was writing down the charts each week or writing a letter to NME saying that Cliff Richard is better than Elvis Presley, which I hate to say I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very embarrassed about that. <laughs> but I was always making charts of... Listening you can to almost radio. make
0: a case for it on the strength of Move It Alone. It's, yeah. a pretty, it's a pretty fucking good song. It might actually be better than anything Elvis was up to at that
1: time. Yeah, well, until I saw Cliff in concert. Yeah. <laughs> It was truly one of the worst concerts I've ever seen. Because mm. you had all these little pockets, you had a Christian pocket, and then rock and roll pocket, and people who just liked pop music, and then the front row was full of older people with um, mink stoles on mm, you know what mm, I mean? Mm. And, and so each part of the audience was looked after, but it seemed incredibly false, and mm. ugh, it, was, it was very irky, so. Mm, mm. So I went for that job, I got it, much to my surprise. They sent me down to Lampton Key, which was the record specialist. They own that shop as well. I worked with a guy called John, who was a lovely guy, he and his wife Shirley. And I said to him one day, I said, well, what do you listen to at home? And he said, I don't have a record player. And I was absolutely gobsmacked. I was mm. so silent. He said, no, I'm listening eight hours a day. Why should I listen at home? Mm. And I thought, that's the first thing I do when I get home. And I suddenly realised there and then that I was a music... Fasciando. Mm. I was just absolutely consumed, into, by it, yeah.
0: consumed by, it. by. And so, and what I, were the things? Like was I mean, you're pretty you're pretty broad in your taste and your enthusiasm for things and I feel like like a lot of people particularly that have grown up in Wellington have been in Wellington at a certain point I've I've taken quite a few cues from you. I've, you've you've introduced me to some of my favorite albums and a lot of people can say that. But what were the, you know, you're a blues guy. You're a jazz guy, yeah. Um, but you, are they the main things? Do you think? I they know you like are. a lot of pop music, but they still, are. yeah. I,
1: was, I I used to love pop music. I mean, yeah, the move, Mungo Jerry, yeah, whatever it was, it was it was interesting to me. It isn't now because so much. If I switch on the pop music today, I'm forever changed. I'm a an, knob I'm an twiddler, I change mm-hmm. channels mm. all the time. So I, I play the rock uh, when I'm in the studio. Quite often, outside of that, I'm, I'm listening to The Coast until the moment they put on a, a Queen, a Fleetwood Mac, or, uh, you know, whatever. You don't have to wait Tries too
0: long for me, that.
1: You don't have to wait too long. drives <laughs> me crazy. So I carry very little pop music mm. in, my, in my collection. Mm. I mean, there are a few things, obviously. Mm. Um, no, it, it was just one of those things that I, I know that I'm noted uh, for liking my blues and jazz and, and loving it. Mm. But in actual fact, generally speaking, I feel like a fraud, because I, being a re- music retailer, you have to sw- keep switching cats mm. all the time. Mm. So if suddenly, if ska's in, mm. you've got to become a scar expert. And then if if if, um, if something like punk comes in, you've almost like got to throw the baby out with the dishwater mm. water, mm. water and say, I love DIY. I love this punk attitude. I don't necessarily like the music, mm. but I loved the attitude.
0: As, as a, And as a true music lover, appreciator, you can always... I've been having these conversations with my son because he's nearly nine and getting more and more interested in, in different types of music. And you can usually find something... In, any genre you might not like the whole genre Mm. but it's becomes very hard to write off an entire genre doesn't it there's always something
1: yeah i've 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 come to realize over the years that at one stage i was a bit of an elitist Mm. um until the doors put out like my fire and then so did so did did jose feliciano and people say oh no it's no good you know Mm. and i was sticking up for feliciano Mm. to me it was just as good It was a great track yeah, and I loved it. And then I met Feliciano and he was one of the nicest people you could meet. I I was just so pleased to meet him. But so I stopped being an elitist a long, long time ago Mm. and, and just realized that there is so much music out
0: there. Well, one of my memories I have, one of my earliest memories I have of connecting with you was we were both working for Tandy's. We, we basically worked in different shops, but I occasionally worked at the Lambton Key store, so that's when I would have met you and worked with you. But I can remember it was a public holiday, so we would have finished, closed the shop at like four o'clock or something, and we would have been cleaning up. And I don't know if you put it on, but you, on the shop stereos, we were cleaning up. Was uh, that song "Oops, Up" by Snap and you were and you were singing along to it, and I just thought that was fantastic. Oh, awesome. And I and I love that album, and I I knew that album already, and that's one of those albums I do go back I've to and think, But I remember that vividly, just going, "How cool is that?" Because I think. I think you and I were probably talking about, you know, uh, Ernest Raglan or something like that a few minutes earlier. Yeah. And, and whatever impression I might have had of you as being a world music, jazz, blues kind of person was suddenly just obliterated or expanded. And I, and I like that. And I hope to do the same thing, you know, I've hoped to do the same thing when I worked in music retail as not be sort of pigeon holders, as just the guy who likes this but to be able to mm. speak about and listen to a range of things well, um, i was
1: very lucky when i when i opened my first shop i went to work for there's several other shops after after vanvis and the record yeah. specialist uh but terence o'neill joyce from old records rang me up and he said look i've got this shop in Parrot's corner do you want to come and work for me or work with me and i said oh i love to straight away so i went I worked also at Polygram Records for about 18 months and I really, as much as I loved the job, what I disliked about it was that you were only listening to your own company's product. Yeah,
2: yeah. So
1: I never knew what EMI EMI or RCA were putting out unless I went into a shop, which I did every lunchtime. Mm. So when Terence offered me the job, I went and worked for him and I said, look, the shop is too small and it's erratically mixed up it's just a mess I said we need to look around for another shop so I found a shop on the terrace right next door to Vic Unity, uh, Vic, you, Vic Books mm. and I said this would make a great shop because the terrace has got a lot of people on it and this was before Saturday trading so Friday night was fantastic we used to have lots and I'm, I'm still in touch with a lot of these people who, who shopped with me all those years ago this would have been around about 19 70-something, I think. Um, But what I did was I used to import a lot of ECMs and a lot of Black Lion records, Mm, mm. the, the jazz records, and anthony donaldson said to me one day said i love that shop because you used to let me take things home Mm. without paying for them and drip feed (laughs) and i said well i've no memory of that (laughs) Mm, mm. but that's the sort of terrible manager i was gonna say it might be why that
0: shop didn't stay
1: (laughs) well i i I, as soon as saturday training came in i knew i had to move down to lampton key yeah so i moved into the old lv martin shop and called it rainbow records because I knew it was just temporary. Mm. And that was a good little store. That was the time when um, ELO were really massive. So I can still remember that time very well. And we opened the shop, and it was just a time when uh, Breville had put out a waffle machine or something. And I said, well, why don't you come in and demonstrate it to people, and we'll have a free breakfast and a uh, playing the music at the same time. Well, the mm. place just was... Mm. absolutely packed we didn't sell anything but it was packed you know and everyone was coming in for a free breakfast which was nice and and, and then i just moved up further up lampton key um, and then steve clancy opened a shop in front of me so that almost made me bankrupt for the first time uh, i got out of there eventually i moved to lampton key with the help of polygram records they gave me about a fifteen thousand dollar loan to pay it back when you feel like And that was absolutely extraordinary to me that a record company would have the faith in me because I was always pushing records. I was never pushing chart material. I always used to say to the staff, let the pop music sell itself. That pays the rent. Mm. But, you know, if you're massively interested in music, go out and sell Keith Jarrett. Go out and sell uh, something obscure. If you love it,
0: sell it. And that's what music fans went to music stores for right like mm. they you know there's still that you know I go to RPM and Slowboat and I actually spend as much time and I know I'm not alone in this I spend as much time still looking through the racks to to make sure they've got records that I've already got We'll under- you know, you, you want you want your store to you want your store to to suit your taste and be good. And one of the yeah. ways you work that out is: to, do they have these things that I already have? Because yeah. if they don't, yeah. you know, and I know those two stores do, obviously, because they're they're my locals and regulars, but. But, you know, if I go to a a shop in another town, Mm. I I go straight and hit up all the things I already have. (laughs) I go to the Bob Dylan section, I go to the John Coltrane (laughs) section, I go and see what Prince albums they have. And I'm not looking to buy anything. I Mm. guess I'm in part looking for, do they have the one thing that, sure, you know, do they have the one thing that I didn't know existed by this artist or some rare thing? But I'm also going, well, if they don't have three copies of blood on the tracks they can fuck off you know yeah.
1: <laughs> well i was in Slowboat a couple of weeks ago and i was just from my i was selling some stuff off but i was also looking for a santana triple album which i don't have and i suddenly thought i've got to have that it just mm. popped into Mm-mm. my mind but while i was looking through it's the part, old
0: bins part of the curse
1: yeah that's right so <laughs> yeah. uh, i when i was looking through and i and i was in the p section and i and i saw prayer boat and i thought that's weird, that's missing from my collection. So I immediately bought that, got it at home, I put it on, I thought, oh, now I've got to find my Emmett at Tinley, he, he was in the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I pulled that out, and then I went online, and I found out there's an album that I'm missing. It arrived yesterday. So I'm still a buyer, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'm still, you know, it's this fixation with yes. owning things, and I put it on, and it just blew me my mind away. I can't believe that an artist that is a cross between Jack Buckley and Blue Nile should be lost, who's not a bigger artist. But
0: that's nice. Well let's speaking of that, let's go back a couple of steps to the uh, when you work as an A and R person for Polygram, don't you aren't you part of the reason that people down this neck of the woods first knew about someone called Rodriguez?
1: Oh yeah, that's my only success story. <laughs> I, I, as soon as I heard it, I thought, the next Bob Dylan, as we used mm. to do in those days, mm. or the next Beatles. And I spent years trying to find that that next Sugar Beatles, and then you know after the knack, Won't I gave up because <laughs> I suddenly realised no, they were called the next Beatles, and they were they were a good rock band, and mm-hmm. I saw them on stage, all and that's all. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, the, in, in that particular case, and I've lost my of thought now. Um, Rodriguez was Rodriguez, yeah, sorry, yeah. So I, as soon as I heard it, and I was playing it to everyone said you've got to have this and everybody wow. bought it yeah and it was just and it just it was in the catalog for years and years and years mm. and there's not a record person i know that doesn't own a copy of it mm. if you're into music you've got to have the rubber album. Mm. but what a dreadful show when he came oh today.
0: wasn't it it was a i shock. went to both of them yeah. they were t- they were, did you go twice there was
1: uh, no you- i only went to the ones because it was so bad yeah. So, well, he had was the that the, but Was
0: that the Opera House that one? Major, or the, I, yeah, it was yeah. the Opera House So that was one. the second time. Yeah.
1: He's 90% blind and he had to yeah. be led on stage.
0: It's, and his voice was still pretty good. Yeah. Um, but the band were just not I, in sync. I interviewed him on the phone and, you know, obviously the doco had been out and, mm. and I interviewed him on the phone and I went to that first show and then I had to go back and see the second show to review it, I think. And, um... And... Those experiences have um, stopped me from listening to Cold Fag for quite. You know, I haven't. I haven't played it in many years. I would say I haven't listened to that, or probably even a track from it, in five or six years. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of killed it for me. Oh, yeah. But but you know, maybe hopefully enough time off uh, mm. because I have fond memories. Again, that's one of the records that. That's one of the albums I had heard about him and I remember buying that CD from you when mm. it was released as a CD, like reissued as a CD yeah. in the probably very late 90s. Mm. But certainly well, isn't a fish on disks true that um, yeah.
1: when you meet an artist and he turns out to be an ob- obnoxious Pratt-like John Keegan Mellencamp was to me, mm. that I, I, I can't listen to him.
0: Yeah, sometimes mm. sometimes you get a head start because yeah. they, they make some pretty middling music anyway, mm. and, like, and he's an example of that. Yeah. But, but but I know exactly what you yeah. mean. I mean, I, I do want to get into this with you because you've met an extraordinary number of artists and you've met them in in a variety of different ways, sometimes being part of a function or presenting mm. them. There's a photograph people can find of you uh, just casually introducing uh, Quincy Jones to, to someone like Phil Gifford is yeah. ridiculous. You know, actually, if people don't know that, if they Google and look, look for this stuff or, or look at that audio culture, probably the other way around. Well, anyway, you know, whatever story mm. you want to attach to it. There's a photograph of you in the same room yeah. as Chuck Berry. There's yeah. a photograph that I think you took of Muddy Waters. Yeah. Um and you're hiding in the shadows of a photograph of Bob Dylan. I mean, you 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 got as close to Bob Dylan, whether he knows it or not, you got as close to Bob Dylan as I am to you now. Mm. And that is kind of unreal to, to me and to a lot of people. So I do want to get into that. Um, I I've, have to tell I've,
1: you the Bob Dylan story yeah, very quickly. Yeah. Was that um, if I had turned round, Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks were right <laughs> behind me. But I didn't realise it too much later.
0: Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I meet people when I'm interviewing them. Um, doing this has led to me meeting some people that I never thought I'd meet. Um, you know, sitting sitting across the table from Suzanne Vega and chatting to her just casually in a restaurant was pretty amazing. Mm. Um, but I don't. I never really tried to seek out people to meet. Mm. But you are dead right that. They don't owe you anything, but if you catch them at the wrong time mm. and they're a jerk, it's very hard yeah. to go back to their music. We're,
1: we're talking about the, yeah. me trying to stop being an elitist. Mm. Is that I realised many years later after that encounter with John Cougar Mellencamp that um, in actual fact that's the only time I've met him when it was less than five minutes, but i base based my entire antagonism towards mm. him on that when in mm. actual fact... It was probably just a very off day for yes, him. Yes, that's right. And he didn't want to be there, Yeah. which he told me in no uncertain terms. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and, and so I just walked away from him. Yeah. But I've been lucky to, to go out for lunch or for dinner with uh, Cleo Lane twice. I've had lunch with um, Philip Glass. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced with the Philip Glass, they invited me because nobody else at the American <laughs> News knew he who was. Who was <laughs> <you know? laughs>
0: So well, what does talk, what talk does about? one uh, eat and drink and do, and talk about with Philip Glass?
1: Well, I talked about whether or not he was um, happy with the term minimalism, mm. and um, you know that that uh, I, I always pronounced the film wrong, Kine- 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I always pronounced the film wrong, but that was my really first introduction to him. Yeah, those scores are amazing. Yeah, twenty years Yeah, yeah. Years earlier, well, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd listened to um, and got released, even though it wasn't my label. Uh, when I was working for Polygram Records, they also distributed CBS records, and there was a Terry Riley and C. Mm. Now I heard it and I said, we've got to release this, and they probably sold three copies, but that was my introduction to minimalism and music that were in the rounds, mm, so mm, I just think you know mm, what that is, mm. and um, so it, it was kind of strange, so I was talking with Philip Glass and say, well, that was my introduction, but I can't get into Stockhausen, for so, I'm, um, uh, you know, these are the sort of things that you and I are used to doing, trying to let the other people speak mm. by giving them something to speak about. But if you go in there and say, well, you know, what tunes have you written, or have you had anything on the top 20, or mm. what's your favourite colour? You get shut down straight away. You've got to make it interesting for them. Mm. And you've got to say, so if, if I was to meet, for argument's sake, Bob Dylan, I've always wondered what the question would be mm, mm. that would make him stop and say, I'll
0: actually answer that. No, Here goes. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm interested in answering exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, I think he's one of life's very special cases, isn't he, that he almost made a decision, a clinical or a decision to switch off mm. from... Almost any aspect of the Star Machine,
1: but why was and retain book, a mystique. But why was his book chronicles so open? Yeah, and why was his um, radio, time show. Out radio show? Because, because probably the most exciting thing I've heard in fifty yeah,
0: years. Because he's a control freak, and yeah, that's him having twenty programs. And because he's a control good. freak, and that's him having control. Yeah, that's on his terms. But Van Morrison, a grump, but you'd still like to meet him. Or I wouldn't. wouldn't I no. wouldn't. I've had enough. Warnings off from him I would like to see him play mm. Although less so now I just don't know that a Van Morrison show now I mean people say oh, Mind you those recent records have been astoundingly no, good do, do. <laughs> <laughs> Really good yeah. And and dazzlingly competent at, mm. at the worst They've been really good yeah. But um, yeah I think I mean to me it was it's always been about Um seeing the person do what they do is generally more interesting than meeting them Mm. that's been the main thing was was for me it was about collecting up experiences but i i i do think start to think back now that already like there are just simply hundreds of people that i've talked to on the phone or in some cases met and some of those phone interviews didn't feel like much at the time, but it's quite extraordinary to mm. think you had a couple mm. of minutes with. I mean, I was, I was listening to a podcast about Curtis Mayfield, and it brought up him working with Mavis Staples, and then she spoke, and I know, I mean, she's so good at interviews, but I had this moment where I was like, man, I, you know, I had twenty minutes on the phone with Mavis Staples, and her music uh, means a lot to me, yeah. a, as it does to a lot of people, and it's kind of extraordinary to say that you've. <laughs>
1: You know? Well, I, feel, I always feel bad about Mavie Staples because I went in after the show that she played here with a, one of the sisters, two of her sisters And one of them had just recently died. Mm. But anyway, I went backstage and they st- weren't going to let me in. And I said, well, I'm from the Don Post, and I just make, need to make sure that these names are correct. Mm. So they let me through, and I interrupted a prayer meeting. They, wow. It was a post, yeah, yeah. post-concert yeah. prayer meeting. So I apologized. And she said, no, that's OK. And I said, well, I want to get the names absolutely right. And we just talked for a few minutes. And I said, well, I won't interrupt anymore. And I left, but she was just lovely mm. she really mm. was and mm. i always remember something like that mm. but oh. now i because uh, lynn and i go to concerts together Lynn wants to get home plus i've got to go home and mm. uh, do the review and mm. not many people know that you've got to write 350 words by 11:30 that night mm. so mm. you're under a lot of pressure to get it right yeah um so i can't stay behind but i would some concerts i don't care if it's david gray i don't care if it's it's um Country journal and the fish. I would still want to meet these people. Mm. I, f- I just find their lives mm. so interesting. Mm. And, you know, I know that to them, it's in a lot of cases now, it's just a job.
0: Well, when did that? So, when did that experience first kick in for you? That idea of wanting to connect the music to the person, like and wanting to meet them, was that as soon as you started going I to never, shows?
1: I never thought about it. Yeah. I just did it. Yeah. I honestly, I must have been. Because
0: did you do someday. the kind of sneaky backstage bluff oh, bluffery? Yes. You've got oh, some yeah, stories yes, about yes, that, yes. right? Hello like
1: Polygram Records. Yeah, yeah. And they would just let you in. Yeah. And it was like this is extraordinary. So I just carried on doing it. Everyone from George Benson to um chris isaac uh, mm. it was just so easy i just said uh, well i'm from so and so and they would just let you in mm. uh, i don't think that would happen too much now mm. i got mm. thrown out of it uh well no it's it's another story i was selling uh tina turner cds at the show and this manager came up and said get the f out of here and i mm. said beg your pardon he said I'm selling stuff here tonight, not you, now get the F out. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, if you'll stop swearing at me, I will. And he said, what? And I said, well, I know it's pound and parcel for you people to be angry and gruff. Yeah. I said, but I'm, I'm quite willing to move if you just say, would yeah. you please moving on? I've got the thing. And he did. And it, it's so surprising because I've met some managers. But oh, yeah. They're just cretins, you know. Yeah. So.
0: They sort of uh, must go to a, uh, a graduating course or something mm. to learn to be a special kind of jerk, <laughs>
1: jerk I think. Well, I, I, I now read more books on managers yeah. uh, these days than I do uh, just about anything else. Mm. I mean, I've read all the Dylan books, 20, 30, of at least mm. out of the several hundred, um, and there's not a lot more to be said about him. Yeah. Um, what you what we really want to know about Bob is his is working methods mm. and... and um,
0: well, we want volume two and oh, potentially do, three yeah. of the memoir, don't yeah, we? We
1: and... certainly do that. Then. Yeah. You know, we've, yeah. we've had this thing on Facebook about best music books yeah. and it's in everybody's list, mm. Bob Dylan Chronicles. Mm. It's a wonderful book. Everybody mm-hmm. should read it. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. yeah. But my first um, mm. backstage thing, oh, I well, I can't be absolutely sure, but I think it was Ossie mm-hmm.
2: And
1: I went backstage and took Lynn and they were the, you know, because you thought they were all from Ghana or mm. um, um, Niger or, or, you know, somewhere in the upper, upper East Africa. And they were all from London. And it was a must-ex-here, <laughs> mate, you know, what, <laughs> they sound like pearly kings and queens. Mm. And they were just great. They were so much fun. Mm. Anyway, they said, right, we're getting ready for the concert. Uh, would you mind leaving the back room? So I said, okay. We went into the hallway of the old town hall at the back. And um, all of a sudden, all the lights went out and you hear this, and they were just getting into the rhythm. Mm. And they came past us and it was like they'd switched the light bulb on. And by the time they hit stage, it was full on. It was a great show. And those first three albums are fabulous. Mm, mm. You know, they were sort of like English version of Santana or something, you know, mm. just great, great. And so I, I loved going backstage and, you know, only a couple, well, last year it was Midge Marsden and, and Roger Fox. And we had a great old time because Midge and I used to share a flight yes. at one particular stage. I love meeting You artists.
0: and Midge sort of met B.B. King. That's right. At the same time. And yeah, I sort yeah. of had that story from both of you over the years. Well, was um, Midge actually? was interviewing him, wasn't he, for TV? Or, or was that later No, that, that did was that? later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, we were at the, uh, a friend of mine rang me up and said, B.B. King's coming in. And uh, he might do an interview, so I said, "Oh, okay." So I went down to the airport, picked him, and and he just came into the room, and he just got off a plane from L.A., so he must have been pretty tired, and he just sat down, and we had, I think, an hour, maybe more, mm. and Mitch was there, and a lot of my friends, was a guy from the, um, Sports Post was there. And it was like, oh my and were you God, guys man. just
0: mouth open?
1: Oh, we were. there's <laughs> a picture of yeah. me literally with my mouth open. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Sa- I'm sat behind him and I'm rubbing shoulders and thing, and this is great. And it was the same with Quincy Jones, and you can't. Well, I mean, the Quincy Jones was interesting. They invited me up to Auckland to meet him, and I said, oh, I'd love to. And then they had it at a yacht club. I can't remember where. Mm. And so we went, and, I, and uh, they said, right, everyone take a seat. We're having dinner now. And so I sat down, and Tim Murdock, who was manager of CEO of Warner's, said, "No, you're not sitting there. You're sitting next to Q." And I went, "What?" And I couldn't believe that, you know, a hundred people in that room, and Tim had picked me out, to to sit next to Quincy Jones and Phil Gifford. Mm. And it, so Phil seemed to know who I was, but uh, and I knew who he was, but I'd never met him. Mm. So it was it was just extraordinary i've never forgotten that and there's been moments in my life like that when i literally cannot speak yeah and so much
0: or chuck berry was another one and yeah i mean these are these are you know there's meeting a pop star or well i don't want to make that sound at all um condescending there's meeting a famous successful musician who you like and then there's meeting people that are the very architects of the sound, right? And that's just yeah. another level, like the meeting or being in the presence of absolute giants. That's what you're talking about now with people like Chuck Berry, being yeah. King Quincy Jones.
1: We're well, talking about giants. Uh, one of the early shows I went to was the Who, Small Faces, and Paul Jones. Mm. And it was really Paul Jones I wanted to see, not mm, the Who, mm, not mm. the Small Faces, for some reason. I, he was <laughs> the main guy. He put out a song, uh, uh, an EP just recently, and I, I thought. Yeah, I've got to meet this guy, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, I went to the show. The show was extraordinarily good. Uh, it was just wonderful memory. I can remember just about everything in the show. Anyway, the next morning I was in the HMV picking up some stock for the shop and the manager came in and he said, oh, I need two people to go down uh, and pick up the record player that we've loaned to a couple of the small faces. So I said, I'll do it. I was on my <laughs> way back. It was a St. George. So we went down there and the two of them got out of bed. It was um, Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane. Uh, no, was it Ronnie Lane? I know it's Steve Marriott. Mm. Anyway, they got out of bed and they were tiny. And straight away, there was these two puny English guys, white as ghosts, mm. in their Y fronts, getting out of bed. And they were tiny, tiny, tiny. And I suddenly thought to myself, Oh, this is stupid. That's why they're called the Small Faces. It was the most idiotic (laughs) moment in my life. You know, it really was dumb. But, and then, after I left, I suddenly thought, you know on stage they look like giants. And that's what music people are. They are giants. It doesn't matter if it's Keith Jarrett. It doesn't matter if it's John McLaughlin, Miles Davis, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, uh, Sarah Vaughan, I've seen them all. And the, and they're giants on a stage. Yeah, yeah. And there might be... I met some people who I was t- really scared to meet. Yeah. And that was Jacques Lussier thinking he was going to be what is perceived to be a, a, a grumpy Frenchman. Mm. And he was great. I went along to... Uh, uh, just to hear him practice mm. with the band. And then he sat down and talked with me for about an hour.
0: And it was like, why? Yeah, I wanted to ask you who had been, who's been the most... I guess, generous with their time that you perhaps didn't expect.
1: Don Burrs,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the jazz guy mm. that's just died in Australia. Mm. Um, for some reason, again, I thought he was going to be a, a grumpy jazzman. And I, I went to see him and I said, well, I'm selling your CDs outside because I love doing that. It's one of my favorite mm. parts mm. Of, of selling it, was selling at shows and meeting people who
0: well, it's putting you directly in touch with other fans, right? Yeah, as well. Yeah, that's,
1: that's very true. Yeah. You know, and plus you were pushing your shop and yeah, yeah, giving them yeah, a yeah. business card. But I didn't think of it that way. I kept on thinking, I can meet the artists this Yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And I did. But Don Burroughs was incredibly generous, and I was very, very sad when he passed away a couple of months ago. It was like, yeah. I'm glad I got to meet him and Jacques Lussier. Mm. because it's the ones that you don't expect that seem to be the the, the most genuine. And so Country you... Joe and the Fisher, I met Country Joe, <laughs> Wow. and he was a critton. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He was so grumpy, and, uh, and then, <laughs> you know, all, everything I asked just came out, uh, mm, yeah. And then, and then I suddenly said, oh, my business partner, which is Terence O'Neill Joyce, yeah. I said, he distributes Vanguard label, which you're on. And all of a sudden he switched, and said, oh, how am I doing? You know, how's
0: my sales? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, you can't talk to me about that, I don't know. <laughs> so, you, you know, you don't have the greatest experience with someone like John Cougar Mellencamp, as you say, but he's just not happy at that time. Mm. And, and as much as anything, he's been dragged out to do promo to get in, at the arse end of the world when well, he doesn't want to. Well, that's what it was. Yeah. He, he
1: wasn't playing here. Yeah, yeah. Just, just they the just blew him it.
0: in. And so he's probably been an Aussie or whatever, and they've just mm. um, added that on to his itinerary. Yeah. Um. So, who are some of the yeah? Who are some of the examples like that? Where, but also like where you're personally disappointed because it's someone whose music you did value. Like, is there anyone that's really let you down that you were okay. hoping would be? I can't think great? of anybody. Yeah. I've always been Oh, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> cuz it's cuz you're right, it's absolutely crushing like it's, oh, it is it's crushing, crushing yeah. even just to do a even just to do a 10 minute promo phone phoner with someone and if you get it wrong mm. and it's as as much mm. or more on you as the person, you know, as jaded as they might be mm. and going through the motions, you have to you have to make it work. Mm. Oh, yes. You know, well, and,
1: I'm I'm not a I'm not an interviewer. Uh, I've only interviewed three or four people in my life and I've never put them down on tape. Mm. So I just like to put the ball... I want to know about them. Mm. I don't want to know about me. Mm. And so I try to ask just one or two pertinent questions and really don't go along prepared. Mm. And and so I would just say, well, um, you know, you've come all this way. I don't want to say, what do you think of New Zealand? Because that's Mm. the dumbest cliché. You know, like Ringo, when they said, uh, "How do you find America?" he said, "Turn left at Greenland," mm. and I thought, "That's the perfect answer. That is great." Mm. So, no, there's very few that I, I if I, if I have met those people, I've dismissed them out of, mm. you know, apart from camp
0: <laughs> <laughs> And how did you get into? I mean, I know the the simple answer is, uh, the another avenue for the love of the music. But how did you get into? Uh, commenting on it in the various ways that you've done. I mean, you've mm-hmm. been, you know, you started a blues magazine. You were... you. Please are, don't bring that up. <laughs> too late. You, <laughs> you were and are a uh, reviewer for print and online, but also a person who speaks on radio about mm-hmm. music. And these are things you've done over several years. Yes. Uh, how did that start? Like, were you approached about it in the beginning? Or was it I something you wanted? Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
1: somebody rang me up from the Dominion Post and said, You're putting a lot of ads in about music. You obviously know about music. (laughs) Um, um, He said, would you like to come and do some reviews for us? And that's how that started. Mm. So I wrote over a 1,000 reviews for the Don Post and the Evening Post in its time. And I was very pleased about that. But when that came to an end, Mm. um, I just wrote to three local papers. And I said, "Um, this is me. This is three of my recent reviews. Do you have a position and I said, um, uh, and I said, no, I don't want to get paid for this. You know, I, it's so messy with mm. um, inland revenue these days. I get a pension and I can live on that. Um, so it's fine. I don't want to, I don't want to earn any money out of it. It's, I do it for love. Mm. And and anyway, I got a phone call from Maddie at the Wellington Regional Paper, and she said, when can you start? So now I write books and CD reviews mm. for them. Mm. Love it. And she's a great taskmaster mm. uh, because I left school when I was 15, 14, 15. Uh, never went to university. Uh, I just got street smart and and that's it. But when I work with Maddie, um, she dots all the I's and crosses it. She won't let me get away with anything. Mm. It's great. It's exactly what I needed. Mm-mm. So I'm very happy about that. As for radio, well, I started out with... Um, access radio i was on access radio for 10 years i did a blues program and i suddenly realized at the end of the 10 years that i was faking it i was just taking my favorite albums along Mm. and babbling along without doing any research where previously 10 years previous i would i would spend hours and hours working out the time of the track Mm. how long you had to speak what was pertinent so you know i left access radio and and said if i ever do this again I've got to be prepared, and so I go in with the music that I like. I mean, we can mm. chat here and ad lib, which, mm. which is what it is. Mm. But if you actually, actually, actually asked me something in depth, you probably would catch me out, you know, because I I jump from genre to genre mm. very easily. I mean, it might be ska one day, punk the next. Uh, I mean, my current love at the moment is a bit of rockabilly, and and a bit of um, Cajun music. Mm and you know in a in a month's time it might suddenly switch to uh, americana again which again is a great love yeah americana is the best thing that's happened in music in years because you you can't you can no longer put it under well you can put it into this composite package of blues country um, regional music roots uh folk It, it all mixed in and i love it and i like that because, mm. like you, I've read a lot of American literature. I can, I can image those. James McMurtry is a favourite of yeah. mine. He's made some bad albums. But he has this great vision of being on his own, a thousand-yard stair, yes. driving down a, a two-lane blacktop, stopping at a, a crappy motel which has got a broken mirror and a damp mattress... Now, to me, that is visualisation and song. and It's wonderful. And you get those writers like Kerouac, uh, Steinbeck, William Least Eat Moon, that can conjure that, those words up. And I'm
0: extraordinarily jealous. I would love well, to write a book. Well, McMurtry comes from pretty good writing well, stock. that's right. Uh, cool. for, for starters. Yeah. Um, I interviewed him on the phone, um, gosh, 10 or 12 years ago. Yes. And I was very nervous about that because I got the impression that he would be quite a difficult interviewee. And I was on holiday, I was in the Marlborough Sounds with pretty patchy reception. And I it just so happened that my my break where I was planning to go away and just relax. I ended up doing like a phone interview every day with um, different people, which was pretty funny. I remember one of them was with the New Zealand rapper Savage, Mm. and I think one of them was with Anika Moa. And then, uh, anyway, the big one for me was McMurtry, and I was very nervous about it. And he was really nice, (laughs) really funny, Mm. really friendly, really interesting. You know, Mm. it was just, it couldn't have gone better. And I felt. Uh, enthusiastic but underprepared Like I didn't, I didn't feel I didn't feel like I would nail it I, mm-hmm. It was sort of like fingers crossed I, I know enough to prove to this guy That I'm not just a newspaper hack mm-hmm. Going down the list and asking him the boring questions But I didn't feel as o- as all over it As I have with other mm-hmm. But um, so when I listen to his music, that's that's had that impression on me now. Where I, yeah, I want to give everything that he does a bit of a chance, and mm. I think there are some really good, some amazing songs and a couple of extraordinary records. But have you ever read his father's book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple about, of yes about travelling yeah, on the road. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I love that book, and yeah.
1: I, I've spent the last three days looking for yes. it because I want to reread it. Yeah, what made what was interesting was if you read Steinbeck or yeah, Travels with um, Charlie, hey, with Steinbeck, Charlie, Steinbeck, yeah, and uh, Charles Correll is another. Mm. Mm. these people actually stop on the side of the road and they talk to farmers yes. they stop at um, a, a, a driver's truck stop and they talk to the waitress who's got a beehive haircut from 50 years ago yeah. and pencils stuck in it and he'll talk to them but what McMurtry didn't do he uh, he never did that he yeah. just got in his car and drove for a
0: thousand miles mm. non-stop well I asked James McMurtry what he would what he would do you know given given we talked a bit about his his dad and the impact of that and uh and the writing and and what he would do if he wasn't a songwriter and would he turn himself to to prose writing and stuff and 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 he he gave the most perfect answer he said if I didn't do this uh, i think i'd uh, think I'd like to be a truck driver that just, <laughs> that just drove around America and delivered things yes. and it's like he said i feel like I just it, I feel like I just landscape this place and deliver my songs landscaping and, is a great and, word for roots yeah, music yeah. yeah and I and I feel like can I'm, I steal that yeah that's review? yours man you. yeah 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 <laughs> and uh and um you you can pay me half of what you get <laughs> half of what you get for your reviews <laughs> I'll be happy think? with yeah yeah I'll be happy with um yeah, so you know that that that's perfect. So yeah, he's one of those kind of interesting. Like it's nice to be able to talk about Jason Mitrury with you because you know who he is. If mm. I if someone said to me, "Who's one of your favourite surprise interviews?" and I said that, they might not know much mm. about him. But yeah, mm. that was I always my ears always prick well, up well, around
1: the new one, of course, is Jay, uh, Jason Isbell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you if you if you don't know anything about music and listen to this guy, yeah, where did he come from?
0: Yeah, and yeah, he's well, got an ex... Well, yes. the, the drive-by truckers. Well, that's, right. that's <laughs> right where he came from. Came from. He was the kind of George Harrison of them, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, the 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 third best songwriter in a in a, in a phenomenal lineup. Right. And then he's gone ahead to make um, his version of really the some of the best George Har- like like those early George Harrison records. That's yeah. kind of what he's doing.
1: But well, he's great at yeah. painting pictures of. Small town American oh, talks yeah. about bleachers yeah. and um, uh, one barber shop, uh, and again those rundown motels, and about mm. wanting to escape with his girlfriend, yeah. but it never quite happens. You know, in mm. one well, I think it's the last album. He did um, a track about wanting to leave with his girlfriend, and he, and I think he does, but on the next track he reverses it and talks about. Uh, you had you left, and you're now living in Europe, but here I am looking after my father, mm. and you know that the father's ill. Mm. He doesn't need to say that, mm, mm. and it's succinct language like that that mm. really makes me see Isbell as just one of the or, greats.
0: I think, yeah, and he's and he's certainly getting his notices now. People talk mm. him up as working well, really like with
1: Springsteen, isn't he? Yeah,
0: and mm. and he, um, but he's one of those guys who has. Uh, Major lived experience and good and bad, and he's mm. channeling that in the right direction, I guess. Mm. And staying my, sober, getting remarried, yeah. having a kitty—yeah, it's, it's yeah. made a yeah. huge difference. And and a guy I really rate that's a little bit older than him and a little bit um, less exciting, perhaps, to in a marketing sense, but as I think is better as Willie Vlauton And I wonder, have you read any of his Willie Vlauton? Have you read any of his novels? Because he? he's um because he he was he's the main songwriter for Richmond Fontaine. Oh right, no, And right, and no. um you, he he's written like five novels oh, and his okay. uh, I'll, I'll show you a couple after this. His books mm. are incredible, but no, you you would be interested in him, like great songwriter, mm. um but an amazing uh, novelist yeah. and completely in the tradition of Steinbeck, I think. Yes. Totally, that wounded, bruised Americana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It it, it is interesting because Steinbeck, I've read several of his books and there's a couple of books about him, uh, his experience in the Second World War, Mm. um, which, you know, if you take it into context and then read that, you suddenly realise that um, how American he is, wanting to fight for his country, and at the same time, how he sees himself adrift as a bit of a loner at the same Mm. time, Mm. I'm kind of attached to those sort of characters. People like Chris Smithers, of course. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've only recently got into him. Yeah, he's pretty um, great, yeah. What, what was the other chap? There was, there's another recent chap. And I saw him on TV and it was... It was boring Out, He just did that typical country bass line. Dun, de-de-dun, mm. de-de-dun, de-de-dun, de-de-dun. And I thought, I don't want to listen to this guy anymore, you know. And yet his first album was so good. Mm. Sorry, his name has just mm. escaped me. Uh, so, you've,
0: you've just... Um, You've just referred hundreds of people, yeah. <laughs> really, in a way, haven't you? Yeah, <laughs> Indirectly. Yeah, um, so books is a big passion in your life. Yes. And you move into working. And so you do your time in music retail across, I mean, how many years all up? Uh,
1: T- nearly 30? 30.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you work, mm. Colin Morris Records becomes a brand. Mm. And that becomes the name of a few shops. Mm. And then that finishes up in the mid-90s. I think so. Don't mid to late 90s? I've got a... I've, I've got i a remember mid- going to what was probably the last Colin Morris record shop in Willis Street. That's but Willis Street but I knew of Colin Morris Records when I was growing up in Hawke's Bay because mm. I collected records. So yeah. I had second-hand records that have got stickers, oh, on, stickers on, them on them from the Terrace and, you it's know, Lampton Key. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know how many I've got mm. in my collection, but mm. um, that became, like, so you became a... Um, a destination for me. Like, when not, I went not, to Wellington, yeah. I wonder if Colin Morris Records is still a thing.
1: Yes, but that wasn't me. That was the staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The staff are incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I thanked them after the shop closed. Um, I can't remember why, but someone had nominated me for some sort of Wellington of the Year Award, which I just found extremely funny at the time. I'm very, very embarrassed about it. But anyway, so I wrote a letter to the paper saying, Well, I could have never have done this without the staff. In all those years, I never fired a single staff member. Mm. Never. They were they were trustworthy, they were honest, they were so passionate about their music. And and they taught me as much as I taught them. And and it, it would never Colin Morris music would never have been out the same without all of those Mm, people mm. they all contributed Mm. in one way or another. even those people we took on at christmas time came in and i hope that they left with a better impression than when they came in
0: Mm, mm. and so when that and when that wraps i mean you mentioned being like uh maybe wishing you were better at business Mm.
1: Oh, I was a terrible businessman.
0: Yeah. Absolutely shocking. Because your passion was for uh, the music and well, well, sharing a, that. If anyone
1: wants to go into business, the best book they should read is The the E-Myth. Um, it's a revised book, but it talks about that when you be, get into business, you think you can do it all, and so did I. Mm. And the E stands for entrepreneurial. And in this case, um, you think that when you, when you walk into your shop, you've got to look at things like, are the windows clean? Is the uh, window display relevant? Is it up to date? Mm. You walk into the store, is the counter in the right place? Is there a light bulb out? Um, You know, uh, has the carpet been cleaned? Then you're talking to the staff and you say, are you aware of such and such? You know, so you're putting on a different hat. All the time, you're putting on these different hats. Mm. And eventually, you just cannot wear them all. So you have to be diplomatic and and try and spread that load across all your staff Mm. and for some weird reason as much as I love my staff I kept on feeling that I had to be the one that drove the the cardboard boxes to the tip and that's not true you know why did I have to do that myself that any of the staff would have gladly have done that for me Mm. and I should have stayed in the shop so you know when I lost my shops um For about two weeks I went to work for regional wines because I knew them, um, thanks to my drinking habits at the time, I knew them very well. And then suddenly Tandy's offered me a job Mm. and that's when you and I met again. And and as a consequence, um, which I absolutely loathe and I don't want to get into working for Tandy's, but suddenly Seamus came along and said, I'm going to open a shop.
0: Now Seamus was um, an employee of, tower music or right. was a tower at the time i think, I think or
1: it, yeah
0: they're all tower. ecm tower they're all sort of one brand yeah, that's right. and tandy's was i guess uh, the opposing
2: mm.
0: brand mm. and i again i had met him in the context of um popping into just about every single music store in wellington at least once yeah. and i had met him a couple of times in that store and found him to be um, great, but the, of course he had yeah he had his reputation as a mm. as a as a very fine but music he retailer. For a
1: job with me, and I don't remember, but <laughs> he recalls it after I yeah. started working
0: for him. Yeah, and he said I came for a job with you, and you turned me down. Yeah, and I said no. <laughs> so you know, yeah, Tandy's wasn't a particularly good experience for you, and we won't go into. It wasn't a particularly good experience for me either, but it, but it was in the sense that it was my first job in a music store, and I enjoyed it for a time, and I mm. and I liked it. They were obviously a questionable bunch of people to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, but you then you end up with Seamus and Fisheye Discs, yes. and that was a lovely store. That was a. And, and and I had a lot I spent a lot of money there and had a lot of good times there I learned mm. a lot from both of you and I think like I can still remember so many of the towering records in my collection that mm. that came in through the door first as a as a CD from that shop. I mm. think of things like Todd Rundgren, something, anything. Oh, yes. the, we mentioned before the Curtis Mayfield three CD box set. Yes. Um, just, um, I think, and Rodriguez. Well, there were two yeah. big successes at that store. Yeah. One of them was,
1: um, um, we were given a copy, a sample of the Eva Cassidy album. Mm. And as soon as we heard it, we said, you've got to invest a lot of money in this. You are going to make a fortune out of it. But not only that, she is a wonderful singer. Mm. Even though I rarely play it these days, if I hear her on the radio, which again is another rare thing, Mm, mm. I rarely ever hear her on the radio. National broke that record on on radio. As soon as they heard it, they they just played it. So I fell in love with her and then, of course, the terrible story that she was dying of cancer. Mm. Um, It was just horrendous, but that was a massive success. We sold close to about, I think it was about 900 copies which for one, shop is extraordinary. Mm. And so, um, Jim Moss of J-Ren Records, who gave us the heads up on, I repaid it by seeing a review in uh, in the classical magazine about an album called Aria. And for some unknown reason, they liked it, which was pretty rare because it was a combination of classical music with new age. Mm. It was a bit yarny meets... Mm, um, mm. But I liked it. I, mm. So I imported a single copy. And I've always done that. I've always imported records. I imported the Dire Straits and uh, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells something like 18 months before they were released here. Mm. And I was sick to death of them by the... <laughs> I really didn't <laughs> yeah. care if they sold or not. Yeah, yeah. And I can't listen to a Dire Straits album anymore.
0: Yeah. They're just oh, not, I, not me. I have a soft spot for those first couple. Yes. I, re- I reckon they, you know, deserve... To be rediscovered, you talk about Americana. Mm. Weirdly enough, uh, you know that 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 sort of Geordie chap was writing some of the best Americana of the time in yes, a way, yes, you know, yes, I and agree. and and those two. Um, kind of deserved to be rediscovered by an audience yeah, i think to me you know but i, I know actually,
1: what you're saying like yeah, absolutely to, to me yeah, it was yeah. just a poor man's jjk yeah, yeah
0: yeah and, that, and that's it's know. true he ripped half of what he did off <laughs> jjk on <and> the other <laughs> half of richard thompson <laughs> but it worked, worked pretty well it for worked him. very well.
1: <laughs> and i love the film soundtrack wasn't yeah. it um georgie girl georgie uh, girl this is one built done in scotland it was just a great movie and a great soundtrack. Yeah, oh, I did a so, few. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can still remember the yellow cover and, and that, but I just, the name. Oh, you're thinking of Local Hero. Local Hero. Yeah, you're yeah, right, yeah, yes. yeah.
0: You're quite right. Yeah. Um, no, what well, a great soundtrack and a great little movie. Mm, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think I massively got into the. I mean you know I grew up obviously on Money for Nothing and Brothers in Arms era and I liked that at the time and then I got very over that but I think my whole appreciation for everything Mark has done is based on those soundtracks just, just, just going here's a guy who's actually cleverer with music than what you first think yes. and then you go through and you know find out that he Played on Scott Walker albums, and mm. you know, produced as Tick Camera, and yes. there's some, you know, there's a case to be made for Mark Knopfler as, and obviously played on and produced um, Infidels, and mm. there's
1: there's well, a. I love these. Uh, that's yeah, talking before about, uh, I love reading about managers and mm. owners of record label, mm. uh, and they're they're a point of interest to me now. Um, how I've misinterpreted a lot of them, yes. you know, because there's, yeah. I mean, that there's. Sharon Osborne's father, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, Dom, uh, yeah, Dun, yeah, Arden. Arden, yeah, 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 you know, and um, the small faces turn up and say, Well, you're only paying us three <laughs> shillings a week, you know, and he's so he gets his bouncer to hold them out the window by their ankles, mm. and you know, a nasty, nasty piece of work. But then you come across others, um, the guy that started Sire Records, mm. Stein, mm. and he's is. This was a wonderful story. Mm, yeah, I must read that. I still read that. It is one of the best yeah. manager books I've read for yeah. a long time. Because yeah. he was a genuine music yeah. lover. Yeah. And he signed Talking Heads and Yeah. and and you know he was down at uh, CBGB's all the time looking for new acts. Yeah. Great, great book. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when I went to work so we are back to Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: and the wonderful fish eye discs. Mm. Um it was probably So m- this is late 90s and into the 2000s. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it was my fault the shop closed because we had a a door which was so cold in winter Mm. with the draft coming through. And I said, you know, we need to do something. And I think Seamus oddly enough said, uh, well, he didn't say anything, but he then negotiated to move into the store, Mm -hmm. which was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, buried it. I'm sure,
0: and it had a lot to do with that door, I'm mm, sure. Because it was in that arcade at the... Um, bottom bottom level of that arcade on yeah, the, corner the window of...
1: the window site was great the yes. shot was too big yes and i think if we'd say halved it and done something with it would have been better but
0: we're also talking about the very start of the gradual and then rapid decline of the retail music industry through like At that time, it was the big fear. I guess was Napster and people burning CDs, and then and then people burning CDs and the whole burn and get burnt campaign. And then it just progresses on from there through um, you know streaming and Spotify and where we are now, YouTube and, and everything. But back then. It was kind of like a Millennium Bug type thing, wasn't it? Next oh, it was, it was so like
1: I, I, you know. Yeah, one of my proudest moments was getting uh, an award from Nick Bollinger on stage. I think it was the Town Hall, and it was the first Wellington Music Awards, mm. and it's been the only one. Mm. So I'm the only recipient <laughs> <laughs> of that particular yeah. award. Yeah. But I walked on stage uh, with a T-shirt which said, um, uh, "Burn CD burning is is theft." Yeah, you see, which I yeah. got a little knocked in the paper, but I was I was dead serious. I knew yeah. straight away we were in trouble with Napster. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, and and it's worked out that I was we were all right because the record companies have simply thrown that uh, side of the business to the Technofo techno yeah. people, Yeah. and as a consequence, they just sit back and collect a small amount without doing anything. So they're probably richer now than, we're, than they were in the day because they had to have a monstrous office with um, cute dolly birds. Yeah, around. yeah, yeah. The thing, they had to have uh, lunches all the time. Um, you were always giving massive- Yes, it was
0: a CMB scene exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It
1: was just, it was huge and ugly, but yes. I went along with it because I loved it. You know, yeah. it was great meeting the new seekers yeah at a, at a restaurant yeah. it was great being hugged by uh, joe walsh mm. which happened i went up to see the eagles when they first came 76 i think it was and we were in a cafe with the Warner's a restaurant with the Warner's staff and tim murdoch again walked in with joe walsh and tim said joe i'd like you to meet one of my biggest dealers so he threw his arms <laughs> around me and he said give me a kilo <laughs> <laughs> And I think I panicked at that stage, <laughs> but Joe was lovely, you know. And the, yeah. But the, I, I remember the concert, and I was in the middle of the audience, and I stood up, and Tim walked by me, and he said, "What do you think?" I said, "It's just like the record." He said, "Yeah, boring, isn't it?" And I've always felt that about the Eagles. Mm, and, mm. You know that a friend of mine read, read the book about the Eagles, and he said they were forced to stand on these X marks the spot and not allowed to move. Mm. And, and as a consequence, that was what it was.
0: But yeah, I've never I've never been able to quite connect with the Eagles. Oh. Joe Walsh, I can. Joe yes, Walsh, sure in, in many ways, like I like uh, even some of his really quite peculiar and disappointing solo albums still. Yeah. St- at least Gang. he's trying things, though, too. Yeah. And then, yeah, the James Gang's the fantastic. The James Gang were great back. Yeah, you know, fantastic. Yeah. Good as any super band One of the, of the last time. really great power trios like yes, in, yeah. that, in that era of yeah. them. And I love Mountain as a, yeah. as a,
1: as a, a power band, a super yeah. band. And, of course, it was produced by Felix Papadroli, mm. if that's how you pronounce it, who, of course, did Cream. Mm. So mm. he was sort of thinking, hang on, Cream's only been around and gone within 18 months. I can replicate this. So Nantuck, mm. Nantucket Sleigh Ride, when you hear it today and you hear it on the radio... You just want to crank it up. There's Mm. no two ways about it. Mm. You've got to crank it up. Mm. I love songs like that. Mm. I could still do that with Mm. ACDC.
0: Who's been the most disappointing... Act that you've seen that you've gone and maybe well like, like it's easy to not like something that you just you know I, mm-hmm. I got dragged along to lots of things as a reviewer and it's and and you do too where it's like it's just a job well, chris
1: christofferson would be the worst yeah that's recently you recently, yeah, yeah right but Previous that's different though
0: but that's different because that's you know as disappointing as that is that, that that's a guy who Really shouldn't be dragging himself around the track anymore. No. I'm thinking more like, did you, did you go and see anyone in their in their prime, like the Eagles in the mid '70s, mm. and just really not. Well, it was just so clinically
1: all. clean and so mm. um, by the numbers that they, they there was no life and mm. there was no spark. Mm. It was just nothing.
0: Oh, I've I, always felt that way about them. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm, I recall going to see some of the concerts. I've really enjoyed are those that have realised. Um, that they're there for the audience. Like I went to see Leo Sayer Mm. 40 years ago and he came on and did a couple of numbers. The audience just sat on their hands and it was awful. And he had the nails to realize that he wasn't given his best performance. And suddenly he leapt onto the piano and it was a Steinway, you know, and he just got the audience within the palm of his hand. And I've seen Shirley Bassey do that. And, it, and when you see the spark in the audience mm-hmm. and the spark on stage, it is great to see. Mm. There's a connection there that just cannot be beaten. I, I love that moment. Uh, Afro Celt Sound System came on and played this Lament on the Ulian Pipes. And it was just gorgeous. And then suddenly all the techno stuff came in. And the roof just flew off.
0: Now, are you talking about 20 years ago at the Town Hall? That concert was phenomenal, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was the last
1: gig on the World Tour. Yeah. And when they left, the the pipes were playing at the very end. Mm. And a guy whose name I can never pronounce, Mm. it's Lara or or Lionhout or something. mm. It's a Gaelic name. Mm. Well, when he left, they left the stage and then they came back with all the food and the bottled water from the thing and Mm. passed it out in the audience. We can't take it with you. Come and join us, mm. and the audience were on their feet, and it was, it was one of my top five concerts yeah, that of all was, time.
0: That was, I remember. Um, I mean, I loved that album, and and the other albums to by them to a degree, but mm. that first album was was, you know, the perfect fusion for that time. Oh yes, particularly yeah. for me, and obviously for lots of people, but it really reached me at the right time, and that that concert was extraordinary because you were getting like all of the virtuosity like mm. amazing playing mm. but everything you just said that whole kind of connection and spirit it was it wasn't, thing. wasn't just about show Love. but there was a big show and mm. great playing but there was this whole kind of like sharing of you're in you know pulling the audience in you're in mm. with us on this and it well, was you were listening to Irish music mixed with Indian music yeah mixed with techno African and, music yeah. And techno
1: yeah and it took me a while to figure it out because it was like an A-frame on the stage with keyboards on either side mm. and they would just program in it uh, and then they would pick up on that vibe and it built up and I presume that the sound guy just knew when to mix the levels better than anything else because mm. I've been to terrible shows where the levels have been so awful I walked out of a Bob Dylan concert yeah, and I rang... I rang them up next morning and said, i like my money back. And he said, why? I said, that was the worst show I've ever been to. Yeah. I've never left after three or four numbers with anybody. Um, but, but my, you know, my rib cage was actually rattling with the bass. It was mm. so loud. When you were outside and the sound was coming through the concrete wall, it was wonderful. I would have stayed there for another <laughs> hour. So I rang them up and I said, I want my money back. And he said, well... Why? And I said, well, it was just the most dreadful concert. It was the worst mix I've ever heard. He said, well, if it's any consolation, he said, Bob fired the sound guy after.
0: (laughs) And I said, well, that's not good enough. I said, I (laughs) want him to buy halfway through the first number. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you sort of just get what you're given when you go to a Bob Dylan concert, I think. That's that's been my experience. I've had uh, four Bob Dylan shows, and I think... I have, I was brutally disappointed with one of them. Mm. Um, fairly nonplussed about one and two of them were kind of extraordinary. Yeah. And I think that's as good as that's going to get. Yeah, well,
1: Seamus and I went to <laughs> the one where he was extraordinary mm. and we, we were both looking at each other and saying, this is it. Mm. And I, I figured it out in the end was that it's also with the um, arena on the waterfront Mm. Um that you've got to sit behind the best place is to sit behind the sound guy. Mm, mm. For some weird reason he's got the right sound mm. for him. So if you sat behind him you're fine. You've mm. got a straight on view you're not down the front with all people moving in front you. I saw him at that. Oh, it's a park. dreadful
0: venue there. Oh, it is. But yeah. The other thing that works is when you when they when they actually spend the money and carpet that place. Mm. Uh, you know that's why Leonard Cohen sounded good. I mean, obviously it's soft volumes too. No mm. one, no one's trying to you know shred. Yeah. Uh, it's all very um, but every sedate. Was but perfect. oh, it's still perfect. But I saw Split Ends there in about 2008, and they had. Um, some of the best sound I've ever heard and you know, I mean they're they're mm. they're a full blazing rock band. Yeah, I saw um, Tina Turner yeah. there and the same thing. It was great sound. When it's carpeted. Yeah. That's a big part
1: of it. Mm. Yeah. Beauty blues were great, yeah. a bit loud, but it was great. But a couple of concerts I've walked out because they have just been too loud mm, mm. and I, I don't understand it at mm, all. Mm. I mean I a show I was not expecting to go to was Ricky Martin. Right. and the record company rang me up and said we don't normally ask yeah. this, but please could you go and review it? nobody else wants to review yeah, it yeah yeah and i said yes as a matter of fact i do i said i would love to but i said i've got one condition that you get me backstage and they said yeah that's no problem she said why and i said well my wife works with probably the biggest ricky martin <laughs> fan in the world yeah and i said she said to me a few months ago ricky martin coming he's coming can you please get me backstage because she knew I was mm-hmm. in the industry and I said, you know, notchly, Well, if I can, I will, knowing damn well that I wasn't even going to go to the concert. Anyway, she um, <laughs> she said that's no problem. So I rang her up about an hour later. This lady that worked with my wife, and I said, oh, you remember you said about Ricky Martin? So I said, would you like to meet him? And well, she just went off. <laughs> I mean, it was it, it's what I love best. Yeah, if yeah, I didn't Make yeah. these attachments. So we went backstage, and I I, I tell you, she was. She was crying. Mm. It was just the best moment of life. Mm. And anyway, I went front stage and I was reviewing the concert. The concert was magnificent. Mm. It was rehearsed down to a tee. Yeah. It was immaculate. Uh, but it was great, great fun. Mm. And it was a good stage set, terrific lighting, sound was fantastic,
0: Latin rhythms. What What more can you want? And, and the thing is, you know, you said... Sort of about the Eagles, it's just like what it's like on the record. The the thing with a really good concert is it should be its own thing, and you could actually leave a concert and not be particularly interested in revisiting the music, but mm. love that experience. I mean, the three that stick out for me as being impossible to say anything bad about, but they're not artists I care about at all. That I think of off the top of my head was um, Nana Maskuri. Wow! Mind blowing. God. And, I mean, I have some Nana Musciri records because yeah. everyone with the record collection does because <laughs> you can get them for 10 cents. But I, do, I don't think I've listened to them no. uh, since the concert. Lady Gaga, because it was an incredible show. And, um, and Ronan Keating, which, you know, I... I'd well, after after you dissed um, <laughs> uh, Robbie Williams, oh sure. <laughs> well, Robbie Williams was fucking awful, but Ro- Ronan Keating I, I was good. It was just—I yeah. mean, when I say it was good, it was just a good show. I mean, yeah. you know, he's a—he's—he's he's ham and cheese, and yeah. it wasn't for me. But he didn't do anything wrong in it, no. and he had the audience eating out of the palm of his hand. Yeah. And you know, well, Brian he,
1: Adams did that. Yeah, he presented it himself.
0: Awful. It was, but you know, some people can do it though. Like there yeah. was enough. There was enough. Um, just the right amount of earnestness, perhaps, yes. with, with Ronan is like It was all a job and a show, but mm. you got that he was trying and that he cared or that he at least um, knew that this mm. was how he made his money. Yeah. And it just sort of worked. Now, I haven't listened to – I don't think I've ever listened to one of his albums the whole way mm. through. I certainly haven't listened to anything of his since I was sent along mm. to review the show, but you couldn't fault it. Yeah. That that that's, a nice, right that's a, that's it a really nice a nice thing that happens, though, if right? you know
1: that they're really trying to connect with the yeah. audience – I mean, I saw George Benson, and um, he first three or four numbers were jazz numbers. The audience sat on the hand mm. and he knew that he had to go back and do breathing. And I don't think he wanted
0: to. When was this? Like ages, oh, oh, way hey, back in the day, in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him a couple of times. Yeah.
1: And he, he he's very good, um, but it's again quite bland in yeah. the end. Yeah. But I, I a funny story was was that. Um, I wrote to Tim Murdoch at Warner's, and I said, "Do you know that I, I suddenly realised that George Benson can't play and sing at the same time?" Mm. And I said, "And that's the same with BB King. King." Yeah, yeah. I said, "You should get the two of them together." <laughs> well, Tim thought this was a great idea, and yeah. he wrote a letter to a guy called Fitz, who is Benson's manager. So, stop me if you've heard this story. Mm. Well, I, I eventually uh, there was a letter came back. Uh, from this guy Fitz saying, brilliant idea when Colin's next in America, like I went every week and I'd never been there <laughs> in my life. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. Well, as a matter of fact, a few months later, I did go to America and took the family, but I'm a terrible, I was a terrible flyer. I'm not too bad now. So I took all the pills in God's name and got on the plane and the first thing they said to me, Mr. Morris, would you like to move up to first class? And what what had happened was that I'd gone into a fear of flying course and they must have put me on the database. So when I got oh, on the yeah, plane, yeah. and I said, Why is it any better? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And my wife had said, are you stupid? And the guy behind me was saying, I'll take it, I'll take it. Yeah. You know. So we moved into first class, but by then the pills had kicked in and I slept for 11 hours. <laughs> so Lynn was great, she was yeah. drinking champagne and the kids were enjoying all the yeah, yeah, cons, yeah. you see. So we get off the plane and uh, decided I wanted to fly to San Francisco. I had to go there. And again, it was only a 45 minute red-eye flight, but again, I was Mm. thinking, so we went to the airport. But before we went to the airport, I suddenly remembered this letter. So I rang him up from the hotel and I said, oh, Colin Morris, oh, Colin, we've been waiting for your phone call, you know? (laughs) And I'm thinking, really? So he he said, yeah, he said, "Um, do you want to come down with George on our private jet down to uh, New Orleans? That's where we're playing next. And I was so, I had so many pills inside me to help me get over this fear yeah. of flying, that I went, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to San Francisco. And now, after the few more preliminaries, yeah. I put the phone down, and Lynn said, who was that? And I, said, oh, and I told her the story, and she said, you did what? <laughs> you turned down a private, pl-? I said, Lynn, it's hard enough getting me on a jumbo jet, yeah. let alone a private <laughs> jet to down to New Orleans and I, I've always regretted that. Yeah. But, wow. you know, I went, I went to San Fran and I uh, I went to see, you know, uh uh, Ferenghetti's, uh yeah, shop
0: yeah, and yeah. City Light. Yeah.
1: And uh, you know, all Yeah, it's the quite the pilgrimage was, that sort of it stuff. Was I was going I was
0: going to ask you what um, you know, for for a particular type of music nerd, which is really what we are. Oh. Um <laughs> things like going to I mean there's lots of great music that comes from many places in the world but America and all its um atrocities particularly right now is a place that you kind of have to get to to see some of the stuff right mm. like to just to just visualize yeah. to just connect with it in some well, way that was great even if growing. you don't go to a show yeah. you just need to be there to yeah. connect with the culture in some way you mm. know I didn't I didn't go to America for the first time until uh you know, uh, what, six years ago or so. Mm. And it was amazing to me to, yeah. to do exactly those things, to go to City Lights, to yeah. go to the, to go and see a couple of shows at the Fillmore. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, I saw Kurt Vile there when mm. he was kind of lesser known, like yes. he was just starting to really make waves, and mm. that was a great show to go and see, mm. and and yeah. went to a couple of other things and a couple of other venues, mm. and um, just amazing. Too.
1: Oh, I, I loved that part, and there's... Um, uh, um, I lost again lost my train thought but i went to san, san francisco and i really wanted to go and see concord records mm. so we took the train up there which is about an hour and a half and concord is actually just about owned by this one guy whose name was carl jefferson he owned concord records mm. the mortuary a car yard <laughs> the arena and something like else that's all bases it, covered. yeah, yeah, yeah. All bases. yeah. <laughs> and he was a bit of a blackguard. He's mm. dead now. Um, anyway we we went went there and uh, I'm in this office and and Lynn and the children had, he said well do you want to go and see my house and Lynn said oh okay anyway his wife didn't know that Lynn the children were coming so she was very grumpy and she just yeah. sat down by the swimming pool gave him a few drinks and then left <laughs> so Lynn was pretty grumpy with me and I can understand <laughs> it <laughs> meantime I'm sitting in Carl Jefferson's uh, office and the phone rings and he puts it on the uh, answer machine, uh, the speaker phone, and the thing. And the first phone call was Clint Eastwood, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? And and Clint's at I can I can actually date this. Clint Eastwood was at um, San Francisco Airport, getting ready to fly to L.A. before he flew to South Africa to film um, Blackheart White Hunter, um, which was based on Houston's. Book and and with mm. the same name, and he's saying, "Look," he said. Carl um, uh, uh, Jefferson was quite tough to negotiator. He said, "I'm not paying what you want, Clint. You know, because Clint had just written the sleeve notes for one of the because Clint's a really big yeah jazz big
0: jazz fan me. yeah yeah so he yeah. said I'm not
1: paying that money, Clint. He said that's just stupid. Yeah. He said I, I know it's only about five hundred words, but he said that's crazy money. So he said I'll talk when you get back, and the cell phone went down. The next phone was Richard Avedon, <laughs> you know, the guy who mm, took mm, the photographs of the mm, Beatles for the White mm. Album. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, this is weird, really, this is <laughs> really strange. Yeah, I can't get over this. And so Richard Avedon, and he said, yeah, the photographs are wonderful. I said, I can't pay that. You know. <laughs> and the next one was Ruby Braff, the trumpet yeah. player, yeah. Uh, who I think has since passed on, and yeah. he was talking about his new album. Anyway, um, he said, right, he said... Um, uh, I've got to get back to work now. And he said, oh, I'll, t- I'll give my secretary to pick up things. He said, but we'll take you to a concert tonight. So we went around to a place called Yose's, which is very well known yes, in the yeah, area. Yeah. And we went upstairs and this it was uh, Mongo Santa Maria, the guy that wrote Watermelon Man. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty boring show. He was very tired and he was yawning. And, and as, as we were leaving, he introduced me to the door guy and I couldn't hear his name because it was so loud. We were driving back to San Fran, they drove us the two hours back to San Fran, and the, the, the secretary was telling me wonderful stories. She said, well, the guy at the door that you've just been introduced to is Stan Gets Sunk. And <laughs> I said, wow. And she said, yeah, I'll tell you a story about Stan. She said, um, I went to pick him up to take him to the airport because he had dates in, um, in Europe. Mm. And he opened the door and it was absolutely stark bollock naked. And she said, "Uh, Stan, you've got to be at the airport in half an hour. Oh, do I? She said, yeah, go and get dressed. So she gets all the passports out and gets the tickets and takes him to the airport and pulls him onto a plane, you know, because he was was so bad at that stage with with heroin or Mm. whatever Mm. that um, she told me that the son had just met the night before. uh, Sorry, met that night. He came home from school one day, uh, sorry, he he, oh. he came home and the and Stan Getz abused him, he hit him in the face mm, mm. gave him a big black eye. The next morning when Stan saw him, he said, Have you been fighting at school? He had
0: no memory of wow. that at all. Awful. It was just awful. So mm. so I'm glad I never met Stan Getz. Oh, there's some <laughs> horror stories around those guys from that era, isn't oh, there? Like, yes, yeah. oh, is I've it? been I've been getting really hooked on um Art Pepper again as you know because you saw that I was posting about reading that book and and watching the doco and stuff and I mean just and and one of my favourite books is that really slim volume of memoir by Chet Baker yes um, which is amazing they're just just awful awful guys with awful experiences but beautiful music it's very hard to reconcile actually
1: Chet and Art were in the same band and what broke them up was one was on heroin and the other one was on another drug Mm. and it just they just didn't gel but mm. musically.
0: Oh, unreal. Sure. That's well that's, the piano that Camel's quartet isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that picture mm. of Heath album is mm. uh another of my Fisheye Disc yes. purchases, which mm. I think I first bought right. for my for my old man and then a copy for myself. And uh that's an amazing amazing record. Yeah, yeah, yeah unreal that stuff. So you so Fisheye Discs. Falls to the ground because yes. that's what happens with uh, music stores yes. eventually, and that one died its death in the early two thousands. I
1: would reckon so. It was sold to a couple from up north, from Havelock North, mm. who knew nothing about music, in spite of saying that they owned a record shop up there. Yeah, and um, they really simply did not know how to run a record shop, and in the end, they. Uh, I was. I rang the the owner up the male yeah. partner, and I said, look, I said, it's not really working, I said, so, so can I have your permission to to import records for clients that we don't have in the shop? I said, so that's not you paying for this stuff, it's me buying it in so I can earn a little extra money. Mm. And he said, yeah, go ahead with it. Anyway, I had about $1,400 worth of stock in one of the drawers one day, and had, hadn't been collected, as you know, People mm, mess out mm, that. Mm. Anyway, I went to work on the Sunday and the door was locked. The lock had been changed. Some I I could see someone in the back. So I hammered on the door, and they said, "You can't come in. We we're closing it. You've lied and cheated and stolen from us." And I had this huge argument with them. Mm. And I and I said, "You told me." and He said, "No, I never did." And because he'd never told his wife or de facto wife, and and so suddenly I was without a job. But I'd worked there. For about eighteen months, and that's when Unity Books came along, and uh, gave me half days, which meant that I could start a mail order business, and mm. that's how I've stayed in the business. Mm. So apart from two weeks working for Regional Wines, <laughs> been... I've been in the music industry fifty-five years. Wow! And I d- and I still love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I... and and you got to. As I said, books is a big passion. So you got to dip, properly dip a toe in the water there by working at Unity Books for quite a few well, years. Well, that
1: was yeah. I, uh, I worked for Unity Books for sixteen years part time. Yeah, yeah, and it was great. But I was a big buyer from them before. Yes. Long before that, yeah, I, I used to buy so many music books. Oh in fact, yeah. My music book collection is close to a thousand, and wow. it needs pruning. Yeah. Seriously, pruning. So mm. I've got to do that next time. Um, yeah I just love books, but I love American history. Mm. I love American travel and I love American crime, where my wife Lynn loves English crime. to me they're always like bobbie's on the beach yeah you know? yeah
0: yeah um, do you, is, is all of that american uh interest does it does it largely stem from the music, do you think? Like oh, the, very much the, so. The yeah. crime and history and stuff, because yeah. ev- everything like that is always connected. Yeah, well, but, when, yeah. when I was in,
1: not even in my teens, I was listening to Radio Luxembourg, mm. which I actually thought came out of Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. And I also thought that they were having... I, it may have been Jimmy Savile in those days, I don't know. Um, but all the big, big DJs worked, but it didn't start till about 11 o'clock on a Friday night or a Saturday night. So I would be in bed, I'd set my alarm clock, wake up, Mm. and then have a torch and my transistor radio and think, and I loved it. And they I think it was Jim say mentioned Jimmy Seville. It seemed to have an audience there, a party thing, and I actually thought it was live. Mm. You know, my naivety. Well my mother caught me and she said, You know, you're not getting enough sleep, I'm taking your your torch away Mm. yesterday. So I could still listen there, but this is how naive and how stupid and what a klutz I am is that I actually lit a candle and put it underneath the blankets. <laughs> and I thought, there's a the smell of burning. <laughs> <laughs> How stupid was <what> <laughs> I? But Radio Luxembourg, because they were playing a lot of R&B mm. and soul music, that's where I got the, got the love from because mm. British music in the late 50s um, and early 60s was still people like David Whitfield, Al uh Frankie Vaughan. Mm. And they were so bland. Mm. So Lonnie Donegan came along in the late 50s just at the right time with Skiffle. Mm. Uh, And I didn't like Tread Jazz, even though I vaguely remember seeing Ottilie Patterson and Chris Barber be one of my early memories. But it's only... And I spoke with Cleo Lane and I said, well, what happened to Ottilie Patterson? And she said, oh, she just got out of the business, just retired, moved to Wales. (laughs) And it was a simple time. And I loved her voice because she was Mm. a genuine... Uh, British blues singer, very much like Mark Layton was, mm-hmm. or is. Mm. Um, you know, Mark should make a second album. Mm. She's a great mm. voice. You know, a, a real cross between Janis Joplin and, um, uh, you know, whatever. Mm. It's great. They should carry on. Mm. To hell with no, no sales. Just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, so my, my love at the Americana really started from those days right yeah and you just say to hear lonnie Donigan singing a lead belly song it's mm. lead belly mm. and so you have he really to find have lead in his belly so you have to find we... out who he is yeah. yeah was he shot and then when you see his name's written as lead belly yes or just one word lead belly yeah think, well, the are they two different
0: people or is that yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. and you're doing all this as as i was for a while but you're doing all of this way before you can just actually click on a button and <laughs> look the stuff up. So you're—it's real jigsaw pieces back then, isn't yeah, it? Like little just, bits of information uh, that you yeah, gather.
1: I still do. I still. Yeah. Sp- when the Wellington City Library was yes. open, And we we talked about this online about R.I.P. should be resting pages. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it's 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 a tragedy. I was going to say it's one of Wellington's biggest. Um, Sadnesses at it's, the moment to me is is the loss of the library. The loss of the library, loss of car parks. Yeah. Um. It, it's a
1: loss of a good venue. Yeah. You know, it's 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 wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: We really must. I mean, I was on the stadium committee. I got this. I was one of the people that helped get the stadium off the ground. Um. They came to me and said, "Well, you're in music. You know, how can we create an interest like that?" So I would go around at the weekends, Lynn and I would sit at a table at a supermarket in Kilburnie, uh, collecting signatures. Because in those days, the, the land that the stadium is built on uh, was classed as something else. Mm. And there had to be a law change to change it. So we had to get, and so you get somebody else, I said, would you like to sign to get the stadium built in? What's in it for me? And I said, well, who would you listen to? Mm. Oh, I love Kerry." I said, Well, that's what we're going to have. We're going to have an opera in the arena. <laughs> and the next person come along and, and he would say, Oh, I want to see Iron Maiden. Well, you're going to get him. Mm. Sign here. <laughs> so we collected, I think it was 32,000. Not me, the other people did it Mm-mm. as well. And, uh, the, and um, Friend Wild got the law changed, they got the land. And I, rather naughtily, did the very first sod. We were wow. all stood there with spades. You know, with
0: yeah. our feet on them, yeah, yeah. I thought I'm not getting away with this, so I, I just. <laughs> <laughs> and then they opened it and they fucking invited Robbie Williams to <laughs> play the first bloody show. <laughs> That's right. I didn't see that gig. No. I wasn't reviewing shows for the paper then, mm-hmm. um, but that made the front page of the paper. I remember that the, the yeah. review. Did that. I think they? I think they did his and hers reviews of Robbie Williams. Oh, actually, really? I think I think it was Steve Rendell yeah. wrote uh review of it and then they had uh a woman's perspective as well for you know i guess because yeah i guess because of robbie being who he was they Mm. kind of went like well here's the someone's going to try and sum up the the gushing crushing fan base and someone's going to look at it from a musical perspective or something i can't remember whether it was a triumph or not Mm. but um then then he came back several years later and couldn't sing, um, but, but in a smaller venue. But um, the stadium hasn't really been that great a success, I don't think. It hasn't. In terms of and musical
1: I, and acts. I, the, the one thing I regret is in the early days we were talking about what it should look like and someone saying a square, someone saying a rectangle mm. sort of thing. and And... There was talk about putting a roof on it, but it was too expensive. Mm, mm. And if I'd have thought about it, the idea I should have floated, or someone else should have floated, not just me, was that you've got to put in at least the mechan, mechanical section that if at a later date and you made money, mm, you could put a roof put on Put the it.
0: roof on after a, And that would yeah. make
1: such a difference. Because yeah. then we could compete with Auckland. Mm. I wrote a letter to the paper four or five years ago. A stating and I just wrote uh, these are all the acts that the Auckland have got mm. and the last line was these the ones that we haven't and it was everyone from Sting to mm. you know Simon the Garfunkel or whatever mm, mm. And, it, and it's true we really need an event a place like Wellington that gets a little bit more way, rain and wind we should have a covered stadium mm. but the other
0: place is dreadful I mean we used to complain about the town hall Oh, now man, the town hall's wish, great. Wish for the town hall now. Yeah, I mean, I it. always thought it was a great venue. I yeah. love, I love it. It's my favourite venue in the country of any yeah. venue that I've I'll seen shows seen at. Two hundred yeah. shows there. Yeah, I probably have two or, yeah, or, yeah, a, or maybe over a hundred. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I love that, you know. And I, and it was the home of a lot of really wonderful shows and a lot of really wonderful experiences. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so that's a big life in music. Mm. And you've been in Wellington the whole time time. since you moved here.
1: Yes, I've been in New Zealand
0: about 55, 60 years or something. Mm. (laughs) Mm. I haven't looked at it recently. Mm. And you did the mail order thing Mm. with CDs. Which I still Which you still do. Mm. And you've got some loyal customers, I take it. I have indeed. At one stage I had about 3,000. And
1: then I cut it down to 1,000 because... Mm. so many people were just simply not buying mm. and even though it wasn't costing me any more to do it uh, I just felt aggrieved that they were using my information and my expertise and then going down to a, a shop and buying them, they mm. should mm. be buying them from me mm. so I did feel aggrieved so I, I brought it down to eight. it's now about 800 and many of those are very very regular, mm. in fact I've got uh if if it's in Wellington I usually deliver the CDs mm. I delivered some to Lower Hutt on, to Avalon on Sunday and today I'm going up to Kelvin Karori and Broadmeadows I think mm. so I just dropped in Mm. Plus, we've got some babysitting to do. To yeah, them. yeah, yeah. So it'd be a nice trip for him. Yeah, to yeah. Take him in the car. Yeah. Again. So
0: you, that's the other thing that you're doing now is as you're a, a grandparent that does a Lots. lot of hands-on grandparenting. You, I right? I
1: love it. It's, yeah. it's changed my whole perspective, and I can't wait to teach him about music. Mm. So we, you know, we're at the early days. They're four years old, so we're still doing Wheels on the Bus two hundred times. And mm. <laughs> but no, it, it it's. Um, I'm so proud of my my son and daughter. Mm. They've, they've just been everything I wanted them to, to Lynn and I. But the grandchildren are just, it's an extra layer mm. and I can't describe it any more than
0: that. Do you, I'm trying to work out how to phrase this, um, you obviously relish this, but do you feel it? you get to make up perhaps for, some time that was lost when you were raising kids because you were in the shops the whole time like eh? absolutely yeah. 100% yeah. I, when
1: yeah. my children came along I was absolutely terrified of them mm. and it took the first 3 4 years to get used to them um and even at the weekend would uh, when I wasn't working on a Sunday we'd all go out for a drive and invariably I'd stop in at all the shops so I was incredibly selfish mm. and I'm very sorry about that but you know um Amy and I did uh, an interview for the paper about fathers and daughters. And in it, she said, and I've been very embarrassed about this, she said, I never knew till this article came along that my dad was a legend, (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, that's taking it too far. That's bloody stupid. But um, she said, so, and my friends at school used to say, oh, your dad's Colin Morris. Can you get me this record? (laughs) (laughs) So he said, he was always giving me 45s for free. Mm, mm. <laughs> but that's why I'm embarrassed about that. But yes, I, I have, you, you've you hit the nail right on the head uh, as a psychological point, what I didn't give to my children. And they they disagree. They say I was a good dad. Mm. Um, but I don't know, I wasn't, I, there's something missing in, in the early childhood of my children that I can't pinpoint or
0: put my finger on it. That I am now trying to make up with my grandchildren. Mm. Mm. And were you? Do you think some of part of it was? Were you frightened a bit about your? We all get frightened about our mortality when kids come along. I wonder what what impact that had on you, losing your parents so early. And that's that's good. I haven't I haven't, I haven't thought that
1: deep. Um, you may well be right. Maybe I need to get on the couch with Sigmund. <laughs> um, I really, yes. Yeah, hard putting into. I, I've never thought on mortality. I've never been scared of death. Mm. Uh, I've been in hospital so many times. I've just nine, ten months ago I had an open heart surgery, and that's really taken out of me. And I mean, they just unzip you in the, in your chest, open it apart, take your heart out, sew on a vein that they've taken from your leg, and sew you back up again. So I've got this massive railway track. Which I which is what my grandchildren <laughs> love calling it. Mm. And one down my leg where they took the things out. But the recovery from that is is still ongoing. Um and I may have to go back again, I don't know. Mm. Um so no, I've never felt I used to feel very, very frightened of hospitals. Now they you know, I think <laughs> You're I, I think well quite frankly, I think I've been in there so yeah. Often they should give me a car, but when they clip it for ten, I get a, a free blood transfusion yeah, yeah. or free stitches yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's i you've, you've actually um, unturned a stone in my psyche there. I'll have to think about oh, that. Oh yeah, I've
0: given, it. You, I've given you some more research. <laughs> <Yeah. to do. laughs> and you, I guess, the final thing really to talk about that we we hinted at but haven't uncovered is. Uh, fully, how that happened and what you enjoy about it is, you know, you've always done the radio work, as you mentioned. But you and I are on the same show mm. um, at different times, doing essentially doing the same thing. We're both music reviewers on on Jesse Mulligan's Afternoons show mm. on RNZ, and so there's they have a handful of reviewers that they that they rotate. um And how long have you been doing that and? and do, you know, how do you get on with doing that? Do you well, like uh, it?
1: again, that goes back about 30, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. I was working um, every Sunday with News Talk ZB and um, three of the announcers I worked for have now passed on. Um, but I, I love working with them. And and then I worked with Eva Radich at a mm. um, concert. concert program yeah. and I enjoyed that. But the last program I did with her just didn't work out. She's a great soul fan, mm. uh, as am I. Uh, but she said that she didn't want to play the Temptations and Four Tops and everything. And I really had a major, major problem. For the first time in my life, I found myself inarticulate because all the soul stars that I wanted to play, like Baby Huey, or, mm. which was too long for radio anyway, but any of the sort of uh, Don Corvey, it was the same story. They'd grown up in a, a family which had been decimated by mm. something or other. They'd moved from the deep south from deprivation. Um, they the mother was working three jobs. The father's an alcoholic. Mm. They used to go to Sunday and sing gospel. So it was the same story for mm. for every act. And I just after a few months of that, Eva quite rightly said, "It's not working." We're, we're is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I said, "Yeah, you're right." Yeah. And so we we could have gone on to something else. Yes. Um things have a habit of turning around and then all of a sudden I was New Talk ZB again. Um and then I was back on with national radio with and I was very lucky um to meet Jesse the first week he was working. Right. So we hit yeah, him up right. in the Wellington studio. Straight away they brought him down here to meet me. Ah uh, yeah yeah to meet, meet the crew. Yeah, yeah 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 and and it was great. And I found Jesse just the most remarkably nice person to work with, he's, mm. he's open to suggestions and he, mm-hmm. he'll always say, well, I've, I've just checked through and you've never played Veladia Snow ever on the radio. No one has ever played her. And I'll say, well, I love this lady. She, you know, she's from just before the war and then she was captured by the Germans during the war. She was like, um, even Louis Armstrong said she's a little Louis mm. and, and she's got a very similar sort of style and it's very syncopated jazz and so I, I love those sort of moments and I, mm. I love being able to bring along something brand new so at the moment what i'm doing is i'm playing something brand new and then i'm playing whatever happened to and i love that digging out yeah what yeah happened to helen shapiro yeah yeah
0: what happened to tommy Steele, jimmy neil yeah uh, uh peter noon from Herman's Hermits. that's it is nice to be able to do that rather than just uh you know well, you know most people don't buy music anymore for a start so mm. to just go on and go here's a couple of albums you should you should buy or even just check out mm. um can run out of steam after a while yeah yes. yeah well, well, I, I mean doing, I, I was doing
1: favorite s- tracks from my own album yeah yeah which again i enjoyed and i could i could carry on doing that for the next 10 years like you yeah. could yeah uh, it, it's easy to do, but, but it's do nice to. It change. is.
0: It is nice to. I mean, I, I, when I do those review slots, I do still tend to take on a couple of new or newish albums, but but I definitely try to work some sort of theme around it, mm. like, uh, whatever it is, you know, like people that have used the same producer or, some sort of word. That's why, you know, much, that's, that's why yeah, our yeah, show yeah. differs so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you're
1: thinking of a theme and I'm just thinking one new album and whatever happened to.
0: Which is good. The, yeah. That's the whole point of getting a bunch of different voices, that's right. And then they have younger reviewers than me on there that just play, um, you know, things off Bandcamp where... There's only one song like mm. it's a brand brand new artist that's yeah. just released their first track and i 'm never going to do that i'm no. still I'm, even though i 'm only playing one song off each album i'm still an album's guy I still yeah. like the idea that an album tells a story um, yeah. generally yeah. and hopefully a good one well,
1: there's probably half a dozen albums in our life mm. from you and I that way we can
0: play all the way through mm. without finding a duff track it might be so kind the blue. I was going to say, I put you on the spot. What's your what's your number one go to? Well, for
1: if it's a desert island, it yeah. has to be uh, Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. Yeah. But if it, if it's a top ten, it's obviously the Van Morrison's Astral Weeks. But then I'm in problem because he's done Astral Weeks live, mm-hmm. and that is a. St- Stunning album. Yeah, it is good. It yeah. is so packed with sonic mm. sound that it makes the other one sound a little bit thin. Mm. And so I feel like a bit of a traitor having said for 40
0: years that <laughs> it's my album of all time, mm. when in actual fact I may well have taken the live album. It's not even the best Van Morrison album, though. That's the thing, well, and it's, no, and it's incredible. No. Oh, no, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, no. But it's I really true. think that the, the secret gem that still needs more love is Veedon Fleece. Oh, I, really think, I really think, oh there you go, that's mm. more homework for you but mm. I th- I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I, Astral mm. Weeks is incredible yeah. but I really think that, and God, what a run from Astral Weeks on yeah. really right through the 70s yes. but smack in the middle of the, I love that album he did with um, that's got a lot of Dr John on a period of mm. transition I think that's a great album mm. I love it but no no I know no one yeah, likes no, it but I love not. it you know and it's nice to have things what like about that about Live in San Francisco oh no yeah about it, yeah I love that album and that, that seems to get like written off as it does a rather sort of thrown together thing and I think that's a stunning mm. album yeah. yeah I mean I even like it's too long but I like Too Long in Exile mm. that's one of the ones from that very middling period yes. that I, that I find I quite like. Oh, it's a great album. Yeah,
1: uh, Exile on Main Street is still a great album yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would go, if it was a, a vocalist, I and it wasn't Van Morrison, mm. and it wasn't the instrumental album of Miles Davis, it would have to be Lee Clayton. Mm-hmm. I love every track on that mm. album mm. because it was it, it's it's an autobiographical album, and he sings about leaving his wife because he really wants to go into the air force and fly it match two or three or whatever it is. Mm. And, um, the, uh, you know, I Ride Alone is a great track. And there's, it's got one of the greatest one line and where he's at the airport and he's got a passport in my boots. You cannot travel any lighter than that. Mm-mm. And so it, that appeals to me with the American travel thing mm. that, you, that you're just going from point A to B. Mm. And, you, and you cannot, you don't have a suitcase. You know, the passport's mm. in your boot. So I love that. But my favourite track on it is a track called Little Cocaine. And it's a great track about uh, the guy getting a phone call from uh, an ex-girlfriend who he's always loved, still loves. And and she said, um, you know, it's, it's. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm not going to sing it, but I wanted to quote the lines about it's been years since I've heard it from you. And, and I know that you've been missing me. Anyway, he goes all the way, he mm. travels by day and night to meet her, and the first thing she says, if you got any cocaine? And that's when he realises that she's using him.
2: Mm.
1: And it's it's just one of the most stunning tracks ever. I never, ever tire of it. And I picked up his live album from Live at the Rock Rockplast Palast, mm. in uh, Germany, and it doesn't have that track on it. It's a two CD, well, one dB and one... A uh, um, uh, live album, mm. which m- mirror each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's the least looking rock star. <laughs> yeah, he's got this buzz cut, and there's a man that wrote "Ladies Love Outlaws," and he's probably been paying the rent on it ever since mm. with that particular mm. track. So there's out and there's Beach Boys, um, Pet Sounds. You can't go past. And then I, what I've seriously thought of, you know, you and I do this on Facebook your favourite books your favourite things I'm going to start your favourite albums between 2000 and 2020
0: yeah nice so it gets rid of all the yeah 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 the classic the the alleged classic albums yeah you have to really think about it rethink it yeah it's interesting I've been listening to a lot of I've just realised that I mean I've always loved a lot of 80s pop music because I I guess because it's when my ears really started tuning into music it was happening when I was a kid Um, but what I realise now is all the stuff from sort of 35 years ago uh, I'm roughly the same age when it came out as my son is now so it's quite interesting saying to him this was, you know, and we were driving home the other night listening to Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears and and Oscar said I love this song because it's obviously on some movie he's seen and I said well this you know, I was about your age when this came out, and I, I said, "You know, that's kind of never been off the radio since." And that, to me, that's quite a good example of a song that actually is a really charming pop song. I that listen that to that in a, in a heartbeat. That's still still in forever words. And that, and that that's right. That wonderful like, dance thing with the yeah. two black guys in front of the patrol pumps. Yeah, yeah. You know, doing the, the yeah. Roll thing. And it just it just works. And there's a few things like that, but it, that's been a really interesting kind of era for me to make. You know. Grace Jones put up to the bumper yeah. stuff like that. All really great songs, great hooks. Well, Those two albums I put in straight away
1: from two thousand mm-hmm. to two thousand twenty is Grace Jones' last album. Oh yeah, amazing! And, and also what a comeback cool. or, yeah. or whatever. Like and it a, took what two a, years to get it released yeah, in America yeah. for contractual reasons. Yeah, and then it just disappeared. Yeah, and the other one, of course,
0: is Gil Scott Heron. Oh yeah, his yeah, last album. Yeah, that's an amazing oh, album. Play, yeah, play. You love the remix? I of do. It, you I didn't, didn't like that? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. Mm. But I but I love the original album. That's mm. and the new jazz kind of reworked reimagining of it is very I cool haven't too. heard that. I've been putting that off for quite a while. I think you'll like that yes. more so than the Jamie XX one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I did think. not
1: like the Jamie XX. No.
0: Yeah, I kind of, I think it kind of, again, like, you know, so much of the stuff we're talking about, it comes to you at the right time. Yes. If, you know, if it arrives at the Mm. right time, that's it. And I think that Jamie XX remix reworking of the Gil Scott Heron, which is what, about 10 years old, Mm. came out about 2010, 11, that seemed to sum up the... Breaking the rules, remix culture mm. well, of that, a bit of like that it, time. The co-
1: you know. yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You know, there's, suddenly there's something new out there, and it's and it's great to see it coming from America because mm-hmm. I've got a book in my collection which is which is called "Is Jazz Dead in the USA?" Mm. And that's that's very interesting. And I it's a bit um, erudite sometimes in parts, um, but it talks really that the Europeans doing the best jazz, but it, because they're taking from a classical like right. yeah 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 and, and some of those people um was a uh, a scandi band called est that played yes, Wellington. Yeah, yeah 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 and then he he died he, was, he yeah, died yeah, yeah. The, yeah i think he
0: got run over by it was an awful strange accident, accident, a, accident or death. Swimming, yeah, yeah yeah that's right yeah mm.
2: yeah that but was a great co- that was a great concert,
0: concert. Yeah, yeah i, I saw that great. that was amazing yeah they had something mm. it was, it, and what i you know, and and
1: the music in Europe is definitely changing from, Johan Johansson and mm. Max Richter, mm. and and it's there's just so much good music out there. I mean, I'm seventy four, and I I discover something every couple of days. Mm. I keep thinking I want to share that, and I want people, but people don't buy music like you and I used to mm. buy music. Mm. You know, we'd, I'd buy the whole top ten. Mm. You know, every week I my you know, two and sixpence would go on a 40 pounds yeah 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 and,
0: uh, well you don't need to is the thing and if you if you grow up you can't you can't retrofit that you can't teach people to buy music if they don't need to you know so mm. now it is it is just about that experience well my, my that, that you can still discover it and share it and enjoy it but there's not and you know yeah maybe it's sad that there's no cost to it Mm. for for lots of people Mm. uh and and um but the freedom and the availability of it is also very exciting Mm. you
1: know when my daughter got married a few years ago five six years ago um, she programmed all her own music. Mm. She could have come to me, but I would have done it wrong. You know, I know I would have done <laughs> yeah, it wrong yeah, yeah. Uh, because I would have looking. I would have looked at the age group and thought, yes. "Okay, we've got to have something for the oldies. Let's put in Cliff Richard's congratulations or something because a it fits the moment mm. and b it fits an older age group." But yeah. it was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So I'm glad that but she. It's did funny that.
0: to do like that. The possibilities are are endless and infinite in terms of how you come back to music and how you listen to it with fresh ears my parents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary and i thought like when we went up and spent time with them and bought them a gift but i just thought what's one other little thing i could do that might be interesting and i decided to make a playlist of the number one song every year from 1970 to 2020 that happened the week of their wedding anniversary and i thought halfway through doing it i thought i'm probably the only person that's going to be there that's going to give a shit about this but we ended up um all hanging out together during the day with some extended family and i put this on Mm. and sort of just briefly said what it was and just left it to play and obviously it it turned to mush but then it came back and we were you know you're talking about things like ricky martin stuff Mm. like that came up um it started off great it was a really cool idea yeah, and it's like really you know good. it was interesting and really mm. easy to do because yeah. the information is all there but suddenly you're listening to things that you never thought you'd hear again mm. or really it was odd that i mean the the thing that was interesting was Paul McCartney and Wings had a number one hit just about every year in the <laughs> 70s in May. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. I had to cut one out because it was just getting over – and I'm a huge Wings fan, but it was just getting overkill and I had to sub one in from yeah. the first week of June to kind of cover yeah. for it. But,
1: well, I'm yeah. not going to usurp your yeah. story, but a few – oh, it must be 10 years ago now. Uh, the guy that used to do a lot of my carpentry in the shops lives over in the wire wrapper in Wallet and – Anyway, back, mm. back and beyond. Mm. Anyway, he said, um, Look, it's my 40th birthday. It's uh, my, somebody's grandmother's 80th birthday. There's somebody else that's turning 21. And the other guy's about 10, you see. And he said, I remember that for a birthday, you managed to get a musical card which had a newspaper inside. And it mm-hmm. was, you could get them printed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The machines have all gone now. Um, that's my phone ringing, but I can wait. Um, so he said, can you get me four made up for these particular dates? I said, yes. So we went to the, the party in the White wrapper, and there was four big cakes and in front of it was each of these cards. Mm. So we're looking at the kids' one and it was, oh yeah, um, say 10 years ago, it might've been Robbie Williams or, you know, mm, uh, take mm. that or whatever it was. Mm. And then it got more interesting. When we got to the 80th birthday, everybody went ballistic because he said the day you were born a car was was um, 300 pounds to buy a house was 1200 pounds yeah and they were in pounds yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and then the prime minister was said and um, um, so-and-so climbed a particular mountain whatever he did it had all the highlights of the day nobody cared about the nine-year-old kid mm. it was the woman who had lived to be 80 and how much it changed in her life, mm, mm. and I thought, yeah, that was great. So,
0: yeah. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's just it is just fun to be able to look through this stuff, and mm. I guess try and make sense of the world in some way through, mm. you know, like to me, music's been a big part of my life to try and understand mm. life, well, why I've, we're I've here, lot, you know, what's yeah. what's
1: good about life. Yeah. So, well, I've done a lot of talks to people like. Uh, Fittu Rea College to the students, and I loved that because I I got a different class every year, so I could almost repeat the same storyline. And I'd done one last year just before I went into hospital. I had a massive panic attack in the middle of it as well, which was very weird. So, But i just managed to get through that one. But I was talking about migration and music, Mm. immigration and migration of music in America from um, how Cottonfield... Uh, workers were suddenly done out of a job because of the um, uh, the cotton machines could could um, work it better than the hand mm. and this sort of thing so there was in ten years there was ten million black Americans went north to St Louis and basically Chicago. and as a consequence you they all started to work for the car industry, which was at that time, but then a lot of them decided they wanted to be in the in the second world war. So they went there when they came back, it just coincided that the first amplifiers were coming out so all of a sudden field blues mm. became electric blues mm, mm. and I love that combination mm. but one of the things that I talked about at, at, uh, I think it was a mason's I went to down in Happy Valley Road did a talk there and I said, "Everyone talks about that cr- the, the charts are crap you know I said, "You all do it, and I do it and we look at them each week and think I don't recognize that." I said, it's simple. I said, what happens is you get married. And I said, you start to have children and a mortgage, then you've got to replace the car. Music starts to disappear from your life. You know, you've used it before just as a backdrop mm-hmm. to your life. Mm-hmm. And you will go back to that. So if you say to someone, who are your favorite artists? You say, oh, Eric Clapton, Mungo Jerry, uh, uh, Herman Hermits, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you will go back to that. And what have you bought since? Nothing and because of those things in your life. So I said, I wanna show you a, uh, uh, you just give me a year and I will show you that the charts are just as bad then as they are now. So someone would say 1967, I'd open up my book of charts, stick a pin in and said, there you go, look at this. Number one that week was Grandad by Carl, um, the guy that used to be in a low, no, low, low, low. Dad's Army.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I
1: said it's a (laughs) dreadful absolutely. But right next to it was Wings. Yeah. You know, and the next one was Eric Clapton. The next one might be Ken Dodd. Yeah. I said now if he went ten years on, exactly the same thing would happen. You always get a certain amount of crap in which what we class.
0: Nostalgia, religious is, thing, nostalgia wears a rose-tinted <laughs> shade, right? Yeah, like, yeah we, we tend to remember the good things from the past. Of course. It's a false equivalency and compare them with the shitty things, mm. which is why your idea of sharing albums from 2000 onwards is really cool because, you know, you start to think of albums and, and obviously a lot of them are just turning 20 mm. um, and getting towards that where they do start to get reappraised. I think of albums like that that second Granddaddy album, The Software Slump, is an incredible oh, album. I mean, no, that okay. to me, that's that's the great modern prog yeah. classic, but yeah. it's not really prog rock. It's yeah. it's indie pop music. But I mean, that's the one with the sword and the on Yes, yes, yes yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is sort of, and you know, it's kind of to me, it's everything that's great about the Flaming Lips, yeah. but it's a little bit more interesting. Dare I say it? No, I, yeah. I, I love the best of the Flaming Lips, yeah. but albums like that, they just, you know. They're better Mm. than lots of things that were 40 years earlier, Mm. but we tend to remember and talk about the White Album and Pet Sounds and Extra Weeks. You also
1: remember where you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and who you were going out with and uh, what was on the movies. Yes. I I remember coming out of, it was the very, I went to see it in Sydney with my late brother and a friend of his and we went to see the very first indiana jones oh yeah yeah i mean it'd been out about a week yeah, and yeah. We went to see it as soon as i came out of there i went and bought an indiana jones hat mm. i never wore it <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I've got to... Got to have that. I wish I could have bought the Whip. The Whip would have
0: come in handy. But but it does go the other way in that, you know, I'm still discovering records that Mm. came out in the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, even Mm. the 50s. I'm still hearing things that, for the first time... Mm. And blown away by them. Like, why wasn't this album in my life? And I like to think that I'm fairly um, across a lot of that stuff and have been fairly dedicated to to finding that stuff out. But I a couple of year, years ago, I, I went through that um, Thousand and One Albums book and I was like, someone said to me, how many of those have you actually heard? And I was like, oh, I must have heard half of them. Mm. But I was thinking there'd be a lot that I hadn't. Mm. And then I actually went through like a giant nerd one day and put a tick on each one. And it was about 800 of them that I'd heard. Wow. And then I thought, I'm going to go and listen to the other 200. And mm. it, it ended up being less than that. I think it was about 150 that I yes. hadn't heard. And I listened to them all. Well, I applaud um, you because I would never do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I listened to them all, just in most cases just once. Mm. Um, and there were some things that were pretty average and, and certainly of their time that meant nothing to me, like mm. listening to a whole Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera album. Mm. It wasn't as bad as I thought it might be, but it it didn't require me going back and playing it again for Mm. any clarity. But I found that overall... Probably 120 of those 150 albums were fucking great. Yeah, of And they were things I just previously did not know, mm. including a few artists I'd never heard of. Yeah. But often it was just an album buried in an artist's yeah. career that I'd never got to. So, mm. I mean, how infinite is this stuff, mm. right? Like, how bottomless? Well, I've, you
1: know, <laughs> I've never liked Velvet Underground, I've never liked The Doors. Yeah. But every now and again, I. It, well, the keyboard in. Um. Um. Writers in the Store. Mm hmm. Oh, I can listen to that too. yeah Yeah. It's just great. And what we were talking about just before we started the interview that someone had posted a 15-minute version of Time Has Come Today. Yeah, yeah. And I've never heard the 15-minute yeah, version. Yeah, right. And it's so good. It. Yeah, I've yeah. got to find that. Yeah. You know, Time Has Come Today, Chamber Brothers. Yeah. I only remember the three or four minutes. Yeah. And it was great, but
0: I always wished it was longer. And there's a 15-minute version. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. I've got to have it. Oh, it's so good. I, lo- I mean... I went down that rabbit hole a few years ago and, and bought every Chambers Brothers record and they're all really good. Yeah. You know, to me, at first, they were a one-hit wonder. Yes. You know, from the Tour Judy soundtrack. That's how I came to it, you know. And then I just decided, man, I love that song so much. Mm. And I bought half a dozen records and they're really good, yeah. really good. Hey, we've had a big old chat and your Thank phone you. just rang. Is there anything that you desperately want to put across or I should have asked you that... Buy more records. <laughs>